Ladies and gentlemen, we, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for your belief and your trust in us. What an important, uh, what an important factor in deciding who to listen to today. And that's belief and trust. Thank you. Thank you for both. Uh, we do our best to bring the, the, the best quality program available to each and every one of you. Tonight we've got a fantastic program lined up for you. The first half hour, we're going to be going through some critical news items. The second segment, uh, best-selling, number one New York Times best-selling author, political pundit, uh, very familiar face, Dinesh D'Souza, will be on talking about the, his new book, The Big Lie. I have it right here. I read it. Oh, man, I'll tell you something. After reading that book, um, if anyone attempts to equate the right with fascism, Historically or present day. Man, wrong, wrong, wrong. Uh, and then following Dinesh D'Souza will be Steve Quayle and Tom Horn. Now, Steve Quayle and Tom Horn have some major news, and I want to thank Steve Quayle so much. If you go to stevequayle.com and look at his front page, and about four, I don't know, about four, uh, links down roughly from the top, uh, he is very kind and he asks people to, uh, support our show. And thank you for doing so. Those, who, those of you who are doing that, thank you for doing that. You, you know, we're in a time right now, and just from the heart, very quickly, we're in a time right now where we're fighting on multiple fronts. We're fighting censorship. We're fighting obscurity. I spoke to Dave Hodges today and Dave Hodges is just you know, he's at at his wit's end. Um, we are all fighting the battle to get the truth out and, and to and to be heard. It's one thing to be, um, it's one thing to have a, a broadcast uh, and, and to speak the truth, but it's another thing to have the truth heard. And, and here's the funny thing that uh, once again this morning I was watching. Our, our, the back end of our, our YouTube, specifically our YouTube channel. And I was watching comments disappear. I was watching, um, every time I would refresh the thumbs up and thumbs down, those numbers would change faster than it would be humanly possible. It, it's an ama- it, it was so amazing. And then, of course, uh, using search terms to find the most, uh, to, to, to not find what you're looking for using Google, for example, or any of the affiliated search engines. So the censorship right now is really taking a front seat. And, and of course, that goes into revenue, um, you know, the striking of the revenue. Uh, we are fully demonetized in terms of YouTube revenue, Google. And, and that is because, according to them, um, Everyone from Pastor Langford to Steve Quayle to 
uh, even Dinesh D'Souza. They're not advertiser friendly. E- even the conversation we had with T.C. Joseph, not advertiser friendly. Um, Hugh, Hugh Clark, the JFK Honor Guard, not advertiser friendly. And, and the only reason I bring this up is not, is not because woe is us. It's because woe will be all of us. And we're fighting this this war of truth. And when Dinesh D'Souza comes on, I can only imagine, you know what he went through, his imprisonment, what he went through, personally and professionally. You got to look at the man and say, "Wow!" You know, um, and, and you know, I think everyone pretty much knows his story. If you don't, you can research it. But the the fact of the matter is, we are we are smack dab deep, neck deep. In an in information war, and we, we really are. the The headlines of, that Steve Quayle had posted 25 years ago. Well, when the internet, uh, I first noticed the internet and, and Steve Quayle's site, I think around 2000, maybe maybe a little earlier, 1998, 99. But those headlines, it doesn't matter if it was 16, 17, 18 years ago. The headlines he was posting are coming true today. It's reality today. And it's just amazing to to see. Now, is it? Am I saying that because I didn't believe it was going to happen? No, no, I didn't believe it would happen this fast. So, in a way, it's an exciting time in which we live, but it's also a very perilous time. However, let me just add this: I was, I had to take a walk today with my dog. You, you know how. Steve, Steve Quayle says, I was in the shower and I, you know, it's praying and, well, I, I took a walk with my dog. Cause I just, I, it was, it was like, I mean, I, 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 what do you do? You know, I, so I was walking with a lady, the studio dog. And, uh, I, it, it just, it, it hit me. The reality of the moment hit me. The reality of the times in which we live hit me. The people who are lost, morally and spiritually lost, hit me. The enormity, that the number of people who are, who don't have that relationship with, with God. Man. I cannot imagine being able to survive in today's world without having that relationship, but that's just me. And believe me, not being a pastor, minister, and for crying out loud, not not even a, you know, not the best Christian at all. One that needs a whole lot of work for me to realize that and to realize, you know, the the enormity, the enormity of it all. I can only imagine the weight that's on the shoulders of those who really are in tune and in prayer. People like, you know, Pastor Langford and Steve Quayle and others. I just wanted to say that and get that off my chest. Because I, and, and I put an article up at homelandsecurityus.com and Steve is kind enough to link to it today. It's up at Canada Free Press if you want to comment on it. But we're getting reports this was on somebody else reported on this I'm not sure who um, I'm not sure if it was just a forum posting or whatever but the information that's on this the uh, the communist group out of Austin 
there are, and this is one thing I didn't write, but I want to mention to you listening. There are a number of chapters like this across the United States. One in the East Coast that we're following very closely, literally following very closely. But I want to say they, they are, these people are gearing up for battle. They're, they're, they're buying or they're otherwise acquiring uh, semi-automatic weapons, body armor, um, loads of ammunition. And, and there was an article in 2005 in the St. Louis Dispatch. A Muslim shopkeeper warned of, uh, warned of, uh, war in the streets and exploiting this kind of situation. I expect that to be part and parcel to this as well. This red-green alliance that we see forming, this will be part of it. So all of this combined, we, we do live in perilous times. So we have to be prepared physically, mentally, emotionally, but spiritually, most importantly, is spiritually. I want to thank Global Survey Network for airing our, airing our show. Great, great people, Global Star Radio Network. And, uh, we have, uh, two shows, additional shows beyond this show, mine in the morning from 9 to 10. You can hear that on Blog Talk Radio as well as Global Star. As a matter of fact, uh, follow, uh, follow my show on Blog Talk Radio and follow Joe and John's show from 2 to 3 on Blog Talk Radio and Global Star Radio Network. And, uh, tweet the shows out. Let us know how you like them. Just send us an email. Say, hey, you know what? You could do better here, or you should investigate this, or have you heard about this? Chances are we've heard about many things that, that, that you're, that you're sending, but it's always good to kind of keep us in check. And somebody, I, I read a transcript yesterday, last night after the show of some of the comments, and somebody said, uh, instead of independent media, honest media, I'm not sure who it was, it's the honest media, or honest news, or honest media, and I agree with that. I think that, uh, that renaming this would be, as honest media would be certainly applicable. Portion of the nice broadcast brought to you by Omaha Steaks. Have you gone there yet? Have you gone to Omaha Steaks and put HH in the search bar? When you do, when you go to omahasteaks.com and put HH in the search bar, let me tell you something. You'll be redirected to a page with the perfect business gift. That's right, perfect business gift. For under $60, you can either order order this for yourself or send it to a business clientele, or it doesn't have to be business, a, a neighbor, a friend, a fellow associate, and they will love it, I guarantee you. More on that later. But again, omahsteaks.com, HH in the search bar. A number of different uh, news items, of course, I heard, and I can't confirm this. Have you heard, Joe? Have you heard anything about Sheriff David Clark from Milwaukee? That he retired, or no. is retiring, or quit, or something no. is taking place? No, no, no. I have not. I thought no. I heard his name in the news, but I could not tell you what it is about. All right. Uh, yeah, and th- there's some murkiness with respect to the the news, but we'll. Uh, We'll get to the bottom of that. And also, of course, there, the chemical plant just outside of what, Katy, Texas, in, near Houston, because of the flooding. Uh, some explosions or dangers of explosions, uh, 
just just keep your eyes on that and, and our prayers and uh, prayers of support also um, go out to the victims of the flooding and, and we are doing our best as well to support the efforts of Coach Dave Live, Salt and Light uh, Brigade as they are represent the boots on the ground and giving help directly to the people. So um, that's but but that's something. So we're doing something as well, not just praying, but but actually doing something. I, I just want to make sure that's defined, so you know that um, we're doing our best to, to help those victims. Um, the the the, lo- the level of devastation in in Houston is just beyond description. And and 99.9% of the victims of the flooding are not insured for this kind of thing. And certainly that one-tenth of one percent in the Act of God clause could certainly be invoked and the insurance companies would be off the hook. But think of the, I mean, think of yourself, the wedding pictures that, that you might have stored in the basement or something or your home. Or even the attic in some cases underwater. The loss the, you know, all of the memories, all of the irreplaceable things, of course. It, it's just amazing when you think about the, the devastation and the loss of, of animal and human life. I don't care if it's five or 50 or 500. I mean, it's, it's going to take its toll. So we, we, our prayers and, and our participation are with the people in Texas and Louisiana. Um, before we bring Dinesh D'Souza on, and he's scheduled to come on again at the bottom of the hour, the next segment. So, um, in his book, The Big Lie, it's, it's explosive as far as I'm concerned. Reading this book, this, to me, this is his magnum opus. I mean, he's written Hillary's America, America and Obama's America, but this, this really strikes at the very issues that we're, we're seeing today with the um, calls of being racist and Nazi supporters on the right. Oh, come on. I, I saw it on his Twitter feed. Somebody said, well, what's the big lie? Well, the, the, the big lie is that conservatives and the president, President Donald Trump in particular, are fascists. We're fascists. Nazis, even. In a typical comment, MSNBC host Rachel Maddow says that Trump, that the Trump era is reminiscent of what it was like when Hitler first became chancellor. Really? That's the big lie. But in fact, this audacious lie is a complete version of the truth. Yeah, there, there's a fascist threat in America, all right. But the threats from the left and from the Democratic Party, that's the truth. And he's going to be talking about that at the bottom of the hour. But I did put up the article that I put up today about the uh, about the red group in Austin, the communist group in Austin, the very pro-communist group in Austin, is applicable. Other chapters are opening up across the country, and uh, just as soon as we are that, that we know about, uh, I can tell you one right now is in southern Philadelphia. We have our we have our investigative resources on that, uh, and as soon as I. As soon as I can, once cleared through local law enforcement, we'll let you know what we find there. But but there's, I would not dismiss this threat lightly. So that's what's on our radar, my radar in particular, 
and uh i've uh um I just I just want everyone to really kind of pay attention. And and people will say, well, these are just snowflakes. These are kids in their, you know, from just crawling out of their parents' basements. But there's a level of coordination coming from the top. And I wrote about exactly where this is coming from. This is the George Soros um, strategy. And I want to thank Peter Barry Chowka, just always on top of things. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, Peter. I don't know how you do it, but uh, thanks. Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, one of the highest profile members of law enforcement to emerge as a vocal supporter of President Donald Trump, resigned from his position today. Now, uh, County Clerk George Christensen said that he received a resignation letter uh, from Clark, but that no reason for the move was provided. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what transpires and what evolves from that. So there you have it. He, uh, he re, uh, Sheriff Clark issued a retirement statement to local media just hours after his resignation was announced. Um, and, and here's what he wrote and provided to the media. After almost 40 years serving the great people of Milwaukee County, I have chosen to retire to pursue other opportunities. I will have news about my next steps in the very near future. And I've got some good feelings about this. So congratulations on your retirement. Well deserved, Sheriff Clark, but I do know you're going to come in hot on some other endeavor, some other initiative. And thank you, Peter Barry Chalka, for, for, uh, that as well. Um, the Awan brothers, Imran Awan, Abid Awan, just a reference to this. We're getting close to some, uh, judicial action on this, some, uh, some things that will be taking place here in the next uh, couple of weeks. I would suggest what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a very special. I'm going to do a special program just on the extent of the Awan infiltration, the the uh, communist slash or the actually it's the Islamic Pakistani uh, infiltration in Congress, but it, it's also being facilitated by the com- communists. So you've got the Pakistani. Nationals that have infiltrated the IT network, and uh, Luke Rosiak was on Sean Hannity last night, only for about ninety seconds. But what he disclosed, and what he found, and, and this is kind of interesting because I, I was pulling up court records as well, and I never saw this. I did not notice this on one of the court documents where Imran Awan had listed his email addresses one two three at house dot gov or something very similar to that. Uh, one two three at mail dot house dot gov, and that email address up through the reporting by Luke Rosiak was still active. And so there are back doors all over the place, and I've gotten other information. We're trying to evaluate and assess: is there something more with respect to Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Imran Awan? And that's, of course, perhaps some sort of romantic tryst there. And we don't need to hype it up. It really doesn't matter. The fact that Imran Awan, Abid, and the entire cabal of the Pakistani nationals having infiltrated the Congress is something that that we really you have to take a a second and third look at because over well 80 Democratic Congress men and women have been affected over the last 12 years. You have three high level intelligence committees that are involved. You've got Imran Awan and his brother and others 
involved in multiple businesses, somewhere around 12 homes, 20 businesses, and the uh, indictment that was issued uh, against Imran, talking about just one case, one instance of more uh, uh, loan or money laundering or money fraud, fraud, financial fraud. It's so much more than that. Again, 12 homes, over 20 businesses, including car dealerships. This is bigger than anything that we've ever seen, we've seen in modern times. And at the epicenter of this, you've got Debbie Wasserman Schultz acting as a U.S. House of Rep, member of the House of Representatives, but you also have her acting in, in the capacity as the head of the DNC until the day she wasn't, which was the day before the convention last year. So you've got a, a, a double exposure there. And then you've got the Awans, that, that criminal cabal, my words now, this alleged criminal cabal, that are operating as well a, a business that involves the, uh, um, the, uh, uh, repairing and also replacing and selling of equipment, of electronic equipment such as routers and modems and hard drives. And the, the scam that they per, uh, perpetrated against the house. So you've got equipment inside the House of Representatives, I suspect, along with George Webb and others, based on my investigation and Mr. Webb's investigation and, and Mr. Rosiak's investigation, I do suspect that you've got hard, hardware, hardwired backdoors, as well as software backdoors built into the communication system in, inside the House of Representatives and three high-level agencies from the Department of Homeland Security or the, the uh, uh, House Intelligence Committee and Foreign Affairs Committee to the Homeland, Secu- uh, Secu- uh, uh, yeah, the, the Homeland Security Committee. Yet the media is not covering this. The, the, the corporate mass media is not covering this. Again, Hannity, Sean Hannity had Imran, or, uh, Luke Rosiak on yesterday to discuss this and his findings. And Mr. Rosiak's doing a heck of a job getting into the, uh, the, the meat of the matter. But this extends far beyond anything you've heard. There, based on everything I've seen, there is complicity by the, the CIA as well in this case. When I say complicity, I'm talking about facilitators within the intelligence community operating in conjunction with, in tandem with some of the, um, who would, they would be called proprietaries, businesses that, that were established outside of the purview of the normal intelligence operation. And Kevin Ship is going to be with us tomorrow night talking about that as well. Be sure to tune in tomorrow night with, to, to Kevin Ship. So we're seeing this, not just a, a mere compromise, a, a small compromise, but a huge one. The, this investigation could go on and on and on. Now you've got, and I mentioned this this morning, you've got Robert Mueller, instead of investigating the, uh, what he should be investigating, which, well, actually he shouldn't be investigating anything, but if you're going to have an independent counsel, it would be directed, in my view, elsewhere. But Robert Mueller, of course, is after doing what he did to Paul Manafort, Busting into, busting, sending a SWAT team essentially into Paul Manafort's home, rousing his wife and uh, him, him out of bed in a pre-dawn raid 
and taking files that, that that were never never requested to begin with. I mean, this is what Paul Manafort you know went through at the direction of Robert Mueller. It's an intimidation tactic. So, having said that, the playing for keeps by Robert uh, by uh, Mueller with the I'm sure assistance and information being provided or having been provided and still perhaps being provided by James Comey and even Andrew McCabe at this point they're going after Donald Trump in a big way and I do believe that unless stopped they will have uh, through the especially through the grand jury system they will be able to indict Donald Trump now think about that or uh, at least have um have a, a, a I'm not sure, I, I can't remember, is it a presentment or an indictment? Uh, state or federal grand juries? Whichever one of federal grand juries, it's been a while. But regardless, they, they their intent is to, is to take Donald Trump down. And you, they're using his friends and family as, uh, they're squeezing his friends, friends and family, family especially, um, friends specifically, and associates as well to get at Donald Trump. We're seeing this happen with the complicity of the of the captured corporate mass media, the lying media, the fake news. So this is the world in which we live. This is where we find ourselves today. Dinesh D'Souza coming up here next segment talking about the big lie. What is the big lie? The big lie is that Antifa, or they're fighting fascists when in fact they are the fascists. Worst case of transfers, transference I've ever seen, that's for sure. That's a psychiatry term. But, uh, but certainly Dinesh D'Souza is going to be on to explain his new book and the concepts which he has outlined. And so it's a wonderful book too, nine chapters and the, the final chapter titled Denazification. We need that. Folks, we're going to be right back with Dinesh D'Souza. Stay right where you're at. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. 
Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report. We've got a special treat for you right now. You know, one of my favorite authors is, well, more than an author, one of my favorite uh, uh, political commentators, a great mind, certainly a brilliant mind, and a man who has uh, seen so much uh, through, has experienced so much in the political arena, in the swamp, so to speak, or perhaps because of it, is Dinesh D'Souza. He's got a new book out called The Big Lie. It's right here, as a matter of fact, and I've read his book, and it's a fantastic book. And in fact, The Big Lie is an explosive new book that he's written. Uh, it's, he's the author of a number of, of, of the number one Times bestsellers, Hillary's America, America, and Obama's America. So what is the big lie of the Democratic Party, you might ask? That conservatives, and President Donald Trump in particular, are fascists. They're Nazis, even. In a typical comment, and I mentioned this earlier in the first segment, MSNBC host Rachel Maddow says that Trump, the Trump era is reminiscent of what it was like when Hitler first became chancellor. Talk about having, being historic or being bankrupt in terms of knowledge of history. But, in fact, 
this is an audacious lie. Uh, It's a complete inversion of the truth. Yes, there is a fascist threat in America, but that threat is from the left and from the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party itself. The Democratic left has an ideology uh, virtually identical with fascism and routinely borrows tactics of intimidation and political terror from the Nazi brown shirts. So true. And to cover, cover up the insidious fascist agenda, Democrats loudly accuse President Trump and his supporters, other Republicans, of being Nazis. You see it in the, in the video clips of people in the street, which is an obvious lie, considering that the GOP has been fighting the Democrats over slavery, genocide, racism, and fascism from the beginning. So pleased right now to have with us author, political commentator, and just a heck of a great guy, Dinesh D'Souza. Mr. D'Souza, thanks for joining us, sir. Uh, hey, it's great to be on the show. Oh, man, it's great to have you. So this new book, really, I think is your, to, to me anyway, is the magnum opus, and it's so relevant, your magnum opus, and so relevant to today's events. Um, I introduced the big lie, what it is, and I saw in your, on your Twitter feed somebody said, well, what is it? And you, and you spell it out for him. Um, we're seeing this play out. We're seeing this big lie being perpetrated by the corporate mass media, by the mainstream media, at least majority of it. And uh, is that what pro- propelled you to write this book? I mean, your observations combined with the uh, with the media's proclamations. Well, I try to write books that are both contemporary in their thrust, but that are anchored in some kind of a deeper uh, historical or philosophical argument. And uh, although the uh, charge that Trump is a fascist and the GOP is the neo-Nazi party, all of that has obviously been at fever pitch since the election, the notion that fascism and Nazism are on the right, that they are somehow right-wing phenomena, that predates Trump. That actually goes back to World War II and the aftermath of the war in which the progressives who were coming to power in the academy and the media They knew that fascism was on the left. They knew that Nazism was on the left. But they also knew that fascism and Nazism had been completely discredited. And so they said, hey, let's cover all this up. Let's try to move these ideologies from the left-wing column into the right-wing column so that from now on we can accuse Republicans, Christians, patriots, conservatives. We can stick the fascist tail, if you will, on the Republican elephant. Very interesting. And I learned, by the way, I learned a lot from reading your book from history. I mean, I learned a lot of history or relative to history, especially on your chapter of uh, Mussolini and the uh, the Democrats under FDR, for example. Now, you, you wrote here, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, that socialism, fascism, and progressives. Uh, progressivism are three similar, not not identical uh uh, forms of leftism, fascism lives on through American progressivism. And I thought that that was fascinating. So um, in that context, what we're seeing today really... Yeah, know, part of what I was getting at was that that if you draw a, a kind of a left-right spectrum, then on the left side of the spectrum, you have the people who want the centralized state. And that would include socialists, communists, progressives, and fascists. And on the right end of the spectrum, you have people who want individual rights and limited government. The other day I heard that Bernie Sanders railing about right-wing extremists, and I thought to myself, 
Well, who's a right-wing extremist? Well, a right-wing extremist is somebody who wants the government to be so small, so infinitesimal, that it, it would virtually not exist at all. So a right-wing extremist would be an anarchist. Okay. Which, uh, okay. And we don't, I mean, the anarchists, they're non-existent, as far as I've been able to tell, on the right, obviously. The, the, now, would, would, would the, does that fit the, the left, or the definition for the left? An anarchist would, um, help me out with this, because now, when you say anarchist, that would, that applies to the left, though, the progressive. Well, you know, some of these Antifa guys, uh, Antifa, of course, standing for anti-fascists, they call themselves anarchists, and it's true that they're willing to break laws, and they're willing to ignore laws, and they're willing to disrupt lawful events, and they're willing to disrupt Trump's lawful election. But at the end of the day, they're not really anarchists. At the end of the day, they're collectivists. Because if you ask these anarchists, what, if you ask these uh, Antifa guys, what at the end of the day do you want? Well, they want the powerful centralized state to use its power to intimidate and coerce citizens into line. They ultimately want what the Nazis wanted. The Nazis called it Gleichschaltung, which is bringing, it means coordination, bringing all sectors of society into line with the ideological priorities of Nazism. In America, we call it political correctness, but the left uses the same thing. They use the media, they use academia, the studio bosses in Hollywood, trying to force people into ideological conformity. Got it. And, and they're they're doing so, I think, uh, very very well. I, I think I think that the uh, and I mentioned transference early. You, you talked about that in your book. Uh, you know, the Democratic Party certainly were the progressives at this point um, using transference. It, it, you make a great case there as well. Um, you also write that fascism, at its core, is the construction of. Uh, of the all-powerful uh, Leviathan state, and, and, and this is collectivism by definition, then, correct? Well, Mussolini was the founder of fascism, not, not Hitler. Uh, in fact, Mussolini started the world's first fascist regime in 1922, and that was more than a decade before Hitler came to power. So Mussolini puts it very well. He basically says fascism means everything in the state and nothing outside the state. And for Mussolini, the state is kind of like a single living organism, and every individual is a cell within that organism. So the cell has no value unto itself. It has no rights. Its only value is what it contributes to the collective, to the state as a whole. Now, look, that obviously doesn't sound like the platform of the Republican Party. In fact, it closely mirrors the, the vision of the Democratic Party, and that's why fascism belongs squarely on the left. Understood. Now... One question I had as I watched these uh, these thugs, these Antifa thugs, or those who identify with Antifa and, and their offshoots and their, their comrades, uh, do, do you think or do they believe? Um, what do they believe? I mean, do they do they actually believe in what they're in, that that they're fighting fascism? Have they been that? Far gone brainwashed that they believe, and they've got no concept of history, or is is this something different than, than what we're saying? Well, a lot of these guys are. I, I think many of them are deluded. They're mindless. I know that at Berkeley, the conservative students tell me that one way that the Antifa movement is hounding speakers off campus 
is they just go down to Oakland and they get all these gangs to come onto campus. They give them these Antifa signs. These are just social misfits and people who want to cause trouble or get into a fight. So, you know, I think to me, that's the fascism on the street. Now, more dangerous is the fascism of the institution. So, for example, this guy, Jesse Aragon, who's the mayor of Berkeley, he's a member of one of the Antifa Facebook groups. He was apparently the guy who asked the cops to stand down to, quote, give Antifa room to maneuver, i.e. to beat people up. So I'm much more worried about the fascism of people who have badges, who have authority, who are in the university or in the media or in the police or in political positions of power. The fascism of the institutions is more dangerous than the fascism of the street. And ultimately, yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. And I see I see this academia, the... Um, infiltration of academia and I, and I look at this and, and uh, I think we talked about this last time or what we see or is what we're seeing in terms of the ac- academia is that the fulfillment of years upon years of infiltration are we seeing the Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers of, of yesteryear marching on the streets now filling the seats of, of our universities and pumping this out or is it even worse than that Well, part of it is the radical takeover of the universities, and conservatives have been very naive. I mean, focusing almost exclusively on political elections and not not recognizing that while this is going on, the left has captured many of the big megaphones of our culture, not just academia, but also um, the public schools, um, uh, the media, the whole field of entertainment, not just Hollywood, but Broadway, the music industry, the world of comedy, and so on. So, yes, I think that this has now become a a very serious problem. And also the left has an ability to take its thugs and make them into martyrs. By by the way, the Nazis did that, too. There was a Nazi brown shirt named Horst Wessel, who was essentially known for beating up people and getting into bloody fights. But when he was killed by a communist, the Nazis wrote a song to him, the Horst Wessel song, which became kind of the Nazi party anthem. And similarly, I see in America and and in the West, how thugs like Che Guevara or Bill Ayers as part of the Weather Underground, somehow these guys are transmuted transmuted from violent thugs into ideological martyrs and heroes. Interesting. All right. Uh, one thing I do like about your book, and I, I'm, I don't want to jump ahead, but I know we're limited on time here, and you're so kind to give us uh, give us your time this evening because I do know that you're, you're extremely busy. Um, one of the things that I really love about about this is you actually show us how to deconstruct or denazify. You've got a chapter of denazification, for example, and you, and you give examples of, on how we can fight back, getting rid of Obamacare, for example, repealing Obamacare and the Dodd-Frank uh, Act and, and other things. Um, can we overcome? Oh, I suppose we can, but do you think will we overcome the threat that we face, the peril to our republic that we face? Well, certainly, I, I think I think we can, and I hope that we will. And I think that the more that we put ourselves to the wheel and use our influence, the better it's going to be. Uh, I've been a writer and speaker for most of my career, but I've pivoted now to also making movies. Why? Because a book can be read by a hundred, maybe two hundred thousand people, and that's a lot. But a movie is going to be seen by three to five to ten million people. That's just a completely different level of influence. 
Similarly, for the ordinary guy in your, you know, sitting at home, you think, well, gee, what can I do? I only have 50 friends on Facebook. Well, yeah, but those guys have 50 friends on Facebook. So you have a kind of a multiple, uh, a, an ability to multiply your influence if you actually exercise it. So I urge people to be informed. I think if they read my book, they'll become what I call a very dangerous American because you will, you'll be able to, in a sense, take away not only the race card, but the fascism card from the left. And that's a very important thing because many, many commentators will come on the air or, or come on, go on programs and explain the problem but not really provide solutions. Now you provide solutions but also the method of getting the solutions to the people, which I think is fabulous. Um, we've got about seven or eight minutes left, I think. Um, what, what about the book are, are you most I, I want to say proud of because I, when I was reading this book, I, the research, the amount of research that went into this, I, I think that you've done in the, the amount of notes, my goodness. But, um, is it, is it the, is it the historical part? Is it the current part of the interfacing there? Or is it, I mean, what's, if, if you were going to sell this book to the American public, um, and I know that sounds like a cheesy question, but what's, what were you most fascinated or most proud of with, with respect to your book? This book. Well, I think that my strength in both as a scholar and as a writer is to take ideas that are very somewhat complex, somewhat dense, uh, but not only apply them to the world that we live in now, but explain them in a, in a manner that anyone who, even if you know nothing about the subject, but you're moderately intelligent and you're, and you're willing to read carefully, you can learn a great deal. Now, when I began this book, uh, I didn't know a lot of the stuff that's in the book. Um, I uh, began by tracing some parallels between things that were going on on the left and in the Democratic Party here and over in Europe with the fascists and the Nazis. So, for example, I noticed the great similarity between, say, the Ku Klux Klan and the Nazi brown shirts. Notice that both are groups that love to wear, you know, elaborate costumes. Both of them practice terror and intimidation. Both of them pick on racial minorities. In the case of the Klan, of course, blacks. In the case of the brown shirts, it was Jews. And both are paramilitary organizations that are part of an official political party. The Klan was essentially an arm of the Democratic Party, and the brown shirts were an arm of the Nazi Party. So I knew about those parallels, but what I didn't know is the degree to which there was a sort of almost intimate, in-bed connection between American progressives and Democrats on the one side and the Italian fascists and the German National Socialists on the other. These people were communicating, they were praising each other, they were reviewing each other's books. FDR was a huge fan of Mussolini. Mussolini revered FDR. Uh, all kinds of American progressives praised Hitler. So that's what, that's the mind-blowing part of this book is that for most people, even educated people, you'd never know any of this. You'll never find it in a textbook. And yet nothing that I'm saying is even controversial in the sense that this is my opinion versus somebody else's opinion. I'm relying on irrefutable facts of history, mainstream scholarship, and so far no one has questioned, let alone refuted, a single fact in this book. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. I just have to take a minute and tell you this is funny because when you made the connection between, or you, you referenced in, in the chapter, I believe it was Mussolini's journey or um, it was either chapter three or four, I, I, I actually went, and we've gotten all, I, I've got an old, uh, set of encyclopedias. So, I, I, instead of going to your notes, which I ultimately did, I went to the encyclopedias, read about Mussolini, read about FDR, and 
there was virtually nothing there uh, with respect to that relationship, that that admiration, and how you found that, and of course, substantiating through through your your footnotes and your endnotes, it was just amazing. So yeah, I I I, I got to tell you, man, I was blown away by that, and I don't think most people really have a clue about any of this or half of this that's in the book. I mean, think about it. Here you've got the Nazis in 1935. They're drafting the Nuremberg Laws, which turn you know Jews into second-class citizens. They they segregate Jews into ghettos. They prohibit intermarriage between Jews and other Germans. Later, they involve the confiscation of Jewish property. So the Nazis are drafting these notorious laws. What do they have in their hands? They have the blueprints of democratic laws of segregation in the American South. And they realize that the Democrats are doing the same thing. They're segregating blacks. They're prohibiting intermarriage. They have state-sponsored discrimination. They have racial terrorism. And so the Nazis go, great, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, We just take these democratic laws. We'll cross out the word black. We'll write in the word Jew. And we're off to the races. So I show in the book that there aren't just similarities. The Nazis are actually drawing on Democratic Party laws in the American South to draft up their own nefarious schemes, and that—that that is such a mind-blowing concept. I really, and I'm just—I'm wondering um, how many liberal, progressive anchors, commentators, uh, heads are going to explode over. I mean, the- I, I got to tell you, this is why. I mean, since the election, all these people from Van Jones to Rachel Maddow, Chris Matthews, Bill Maher, they've all been bloviating about fascism. Trump's a fascist. These people don't know what they're talking about. Now that I've written a book and they can see chillingly that I, I've got the goods on them, they won't have me on their shows because in 10 seconds I would make them out to be complete fools. And they know that. And so they've all gone running into their rabbit holes and they've all gone dead silent on me. And this is really, you could call it the intellectual abdication of the American left. At one time, this was a smart group of people, but it's very difficult to say that today. You know, you make an important point there because what we're seeing in terms of the Rachel Maddow's, as an example, and at that level of political commentator, they are like an inch deep and a mile wide when it comes to the intellectual discussions. So, indeed, you would just just bury them with with the, with the facts that they couldn't handle. So, yeah, yeah I. I it's no surprise to me why they wouldn't uh, uh, wouldn't take you on head to head. I'm sure you could bury them. Now you've got I, one thing I want to do uh, before uh, time runs out. Uh, your website, the Big Lie, the book. Um, I'm just not sure where I have it here. The website for the well, book you where you can get a signed the copy. Big Lie, uh, or my website, which is just DineshDesouza.com. Uh, or just Google the book. It's available everywhere, not just in Amazon and Barnes & Noble, but also like in Walmart and Costco, and you can also get it as an audio book. Okay. It's available everywhere. Yeah, and com. right on the top uh, menu where it says Home, Bio, News, book is right there. Yeah, but I, want to, I want to get a, a signed copy. I think you, you had them. I, I think the signed copies were on that one, uh, the book, uh, com. Anyway, you can get a signed copy there, correct? I think. Yes. All right. That's what I want. All right. Perfect. And I would urge everyone to do that. Signed copies are, are, are great. And of course, all, all for, formats of the book as well. Um, one last question here before we cut you loose. The other, your other books still relevant today. Hillary's America, uh, anything new? I mean, how are they, how are they going and, uh, anything new in those well, arenas? You no. Know, 
It's funny because we're obviously not living in Hillary's America, and yet Hillary's America, both the book and the movie, uh, remain very relevant because they're also the secret history of the Democratic Party. The Hillary movie, for example, is 70% not about Hillary. It's about the Democratic Party, and it excavates a whole history. So I would say that just as this new book, The Big Lie, blows up the fascism card that the left has been trying to play on Trump and on the right, uh, the Hillary book blows up the racism card. And really, those are the two most powerful cards that the left has. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that if we take away those two cards, these people will be reduced to kind of a writhing, blubbering mess. They don't have a whole lot else left. And, and, and you've done a great job, certainly, of exposing the big plural lies in that regard. But your new book, The Big Lie, Exposing the Nazi Roots of the American Left, number one. Uh, I mean, this is a fantastic book. And, of course, from number one New York Times bestselling author, Dinesh D'Souza. We're up against uh, here shortly the network break. I just want to say thank you so much for your gracious gift of time for coming on tonight. And uh, please keep us uh, keep us posted as you uh, as you progress uh, with, with other works and uh, let us know how the book uh, is going. Appreciate it. I will do so. And thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Thank you so much for your patriotism and for your uh, truth-telling. Wow. Okay, we're up against the network break here very shortly. That was Dinesh D'Souza, the author of The Big Lie, Exposing the Nazi Roots of the American Left. And I've got to tell you, folks, uh, I learned some things in that. As Dinesh D'Souza said, there are some things that he had to look up. But when I... It, I think the biggest thing for me, I feel like Columbo now, you know. Remember Columbo? But I, one more thing. I, seriously, I feel like the biggest thing for me was what he, what, what he was explaining about FDR, um, about how history has been revised and falsified. Not that the fact it was, not even to the degree that it was, but the way it was with FDR, Mussolini, um, Hitler, and flipping the entire narrative against the conservatives. Now, not the European conservatives, but the conservatives here in this country. Oh, man. He makes a great case. His book is, is, and I, as far as I'm concerned, is highly regarded. Um, and, uh, it's, it's one, enlightening read. Now, he mentioned a German word in there. I cannot pronounce that. I took three years of German 45 years ago. I I, I wouldn't do it justice. But it was, uh, go back and listen, and that word in there plays an important part in what we're seeing today, as well as the German phrase I mentioned yesterday, both on my radio program and on last night's show. Uh, but we're seeing this movement, this, this anti-fascist slash fascist movement play an important role right now. And I do believe, in, in closing my segment out here, I do believe, folks, that we are up against a civil war. I believe that left unchecked, the thugs that are out there that are that are falling for the lie, this is just me from seeing the Red Group Austin, as I mentioned before, the communist group, you know, that, that, that fist in the air, uh, the offshoots of Revcom and Antifa, of which are part of a collective group of organizations funded by Soros. And we're going to be talking about this tomorrow night with Kevin Shipp. But when you look at why Obama has not left D.C. and the organization that he's got, 
and the organization that acts an umbrella, as an umbrella group over these other groups through funding and the funneling. It's, you're, it's not one degree of separation. You're not going to find a direct line between Obama's organizing for America, organizing for action, that is, and Antifa. It's not going to be a direct line. There's going to be seven or eight steps in between. Now, the steps get shorter when you talk about people like Van Jones and David Brock and other people like that, in my personal opinion. However, these groups are arming themselves and preparing for armed conflict in the streets of America today. This is what we're finding out, both on the ground as well as from sources, and we're verifying it as well through um, through the uh, open source intelligence. Have you heard about the November 4th Antifa? Yes. Black Bloc, Black Lives Matter, yep. um, riots in all cities as they want to try to oust Trump. You know, yes. That's just one of yeah. many dates that they have set up yeah. to try to do this. Yeah, I've, yes. And we're going to be following that closely. They had several, in fact, they had a couple of dates in August that didn't fly, but okay. Well, folks, when we come back, we're going to have Tom Horn as well as Steve Quayle from stevequayle.com. Folks, go to the uh, write-up page. Go to hagmanreport.com. There you can check out what John Robertson put together as far as what's going to be talked about on the show. Links to both Steve Quayle and Tom Horn's site, as well as information on the Branson conference that is upcoming. Live streaming is still available. And if you get a chance to go there, that's awesome. Tickets are sold out. If you want to attend but can't because tickets are sold out, we'll do it virtually. Go there and get the uh, live stream streaming as time is running out, the event will be here before you know it. Peter Chalka wrote an article today on Hagman Report, which is uh, Vile Kathy Griffin is back, thanks to uh, the news, basically the news media, and he's got a new one. Is is this the future of Fox News? Where he points out the uh, personnel change that was just conducted, and we'll get more into We'll We'll touch on that on the other side when we come back before we bring Steve and Tom Horn on. Don't go anywhere. And it's environmentally friendly yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greeninnovative.com. That's greeninnovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an ammo can. 
For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified, accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. segment tom horn see i watch tv tom horn great intellectual mind as well as steve quayle uh, stevequayle.com talking about a number of different things that are relevant to today it's shifting uh total uh, focus now but important it's important that we do so and uh but before we get with uh, mr horn and mr quayle portions of the nice broadcast as i mentioned brought to you by omaha steaks if you've got that business uh that business colleague or someone within the business community that 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 you, that you perhaps would like to give a gift to. This is Omaha Steaks has the perfect business gift. It's simple to give and a joy to get. In fact, you can even send one to yourself. In fact, I, I'd urge you to do that. That's exactly what Omaha Steaks business gifts deliver is joy. I'm going to tell you. Um, I I had an occasion where I had to send something i wanted to send something to a uh, a colleague who did something really really nice for for me that he didn't have to do and i figured okay you know i can't i can't wash his car but i can send him a box of steaks or a box from omaha steaks and that's what i did and then he called me two days later two days after getting it and saying man i just finished up uh it was a couple of steaks my wife and i just finished a couple of steaks and thank you so very much it was a huge hit Here's Omaha Steaks, best give, business gifts around. They have gourmet food gifts that appeal to everyone. The gifts offer unique home cooking experience. You want to talk about uh, cooking with your wife or cooking on the grill perhaps with a buddy. This is what Omaha Steaks delivers in addition to a quality product. It's a tr- trusted brand known for quality as well. They offer free shipping on most packages and everything. All gifts are 100% guaranteed. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Right now, you can experience for yourself what makes these business gifts so unique. Here's the exclusive offer, exclusive to Hagman listeners. Here's the deal. Listen to, listen to what the perfect business gift includes. Four ounce or four or five ounce bacon wrapped tri-tip steaks. That was the steak that the gentleman called and said, man, they were just fantastic. Four Omaha steak burgers, four three ounce gourmet franks, two four ounce boneless pork chops, four three ounce kielbasa sausages, plus, plus, listen to this, free shipping and four free caramel apple tartlets. And you have to wrestle one of them out of my hand. Just for our listeners, 
This exclusive package is only $59.99. Go to OmanStakes.com, type HH in the search bar, and choose that perfect business gift, or the perfect business gift, that is. Again, visit OmahaStakes.com, enter code HH in the search bar, to send or experience for yourself this exclusive gift package for only $59.99. That's OmahaStakes.com, search bar HH. And have at it, folks. Enjoy. Now, again, uh, two people I admire a lot, Joe and I both admire, uh, two people that are going to be at Branson at the uh, True Legends Conference, Gen 6, uh, Gen 6, Tom Horn and Steve Quayle. And the, that conference is going to be second to none, I believe. It's going to just make your, it's just going to, anyone who's lucky enough to be able to attend that conference is going to be so blessed. And you know, Pastor Langford is going to be ministering there and Tom Horn's going to be there. Steve Quill's going to be there. Um, it's just going to be so much fun. And I just, I, I certainly can't wait for it. And I know those people who have signed up, uh, to attend can't wait. But if, if you are one of the people who want to see it, but cannot attend or haven't, uh, were unable to, uh, didn't make the cutoff. You can purchase the live stream or the DVD. Just go to the link under our program description or go to stevequail.com and click on the link for the live streaming or the DVD. Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you when the guests come on or for the guests. Uh, I'm not sure if they're... Oh, we, we got right. a thumbs up on both. Okay, that's great. Let's do this. Let's bring on Tom Horn. Tom, welcome back to the Hagman Report. It's been a while since you've been on, and it's great to have you back. Hey, it's great to be on with you guys, Joe uh, and uh, Doug. And Doug's making me hungry. <laughs> I think I think Steve ought to send all of us uh, a big box of those Omaha steaks. There you go. You know what? Um, yeah, yeah. Boy, uh, you're looking. I'll tell you what. I just I saw the uh, panel up here. You're looking good, Tom. Uh, uh, and I, I can't wait to I can't wait to see you in Branson. Uh, oh, you're going to be there. Well, I'm really happy about that. And well, I'm sneaking and, uh, in. I, I'm, I'm going to be. I'm going to dress up as a janitor, and I'm going to because I'm, I'm good at doing that. Uh, anyway, yeah. but uh, Steve, are you there, my, my brother? Yep, I'm. Excuse me, I'm here, and you know, Doug, this has been a, a marvelous thing, and I want to just share something right at the start of the show, ladies and gentlemen. We've had people from all over the world respond to sign up for the live streaming or to get the DVD sets because they know that God's getting ready to move in their lives. And I've even gotten into arguments with people saying it's not the same not being there. I got news for you. God is touching people all over the world. And I get the uh, emails from them talking about just how important the show is. And earlier today I put up on my website uh, one of those stories you had written. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of you would be totally in the dark. This is what I basically was saying. Without Doug's show, where would you get the information that Tom and I and Pastor Langford and Henry Drew and all the different guests that Doug has had on, where will you go? Because, you know, Doug, I can speak as number four. I think there was a spy movie called Number Four. If I'm number four on the who's who in the worst of the world in alternate right publishing, number one was Drudge, number two was Breitbart, number three was Alex, and number four was me, then that means they've been lying all this time about all my analytics. So if people don't understand that the first war against the Christians has already started, and that's to economically attack them and to cut them off from any uh, stream of revenue, well, ladies and gentlemen, that affects Doug Hagman big time. 
And if I told you, you know, what's gone on, and, and I, you know, I never talk out of school. In confidence, I keep confidence. But I will say this. Those of us who have been blessed, and I do put my money where my mouth is, I'm telling you, you need to really ask God if this, if this ministry of Hagman and Hagman, this radio broadcast, is worthy of your um, uh, tithes, if you believe in tithing. I do. I believe a lot of people miss it. Tithing was not instituted after uh, the law was instituted between Melchizedek and Abraham, and a lot of people, including me, believe that was a, if you will, a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Now, people will argue with me, Tom, over everything, and they'll argue, they'll argue with that thing, but here's the thing. For as long as it's possible for you to and make, make some effort to help this show, Doug has expanded three shows, and basically what all of us are trying to do, whether it's Tom, myself, or Doug, we're on a crash course against the time that will be when there will be no way to get the information out to you. Tonight, Tom and I are going to talk about some of the rudimentary things of the faith, and I've been getting a lot of uh, emails that people don't understand why this is important to salvation or issues. I'll even go on to say that when Charisma Magazine uh, says, Houston, don't listen to the doom and gloom prophets of destruction, well, evidently that the mayor would fit into that, uh, or excuse me, the mayor of Houston would not fit into that category because he had the chance to warn the people and didn't, then became incredibly belligerent. I don't think, Doug, that people understand the price that you pay, and I won't go into private details, but I'm just saying this, ladies and gentlemen, please, if this show means anything to you, I would encourage you to stand, support, and send your checks or whatever. Now, look, we don't do this often, and Doug never does it, but I'll do it for him. And for the record, I've been on, uh, I said to him in the past, Doug, as long as God wants you on, he'll continue to provide. And then when he doesn't provide, then he wants you off. And so, ladies and gentlemen, you make the decision. God will do what God's going to do. But if you understood the war that is against anybody that's telling the truth. So I rebuke the word alt-right. And I would say this. The truth tellers, the info wars that Alex has used as one of his descriptors. Skywatch TV. Tom has done a magnificent job of influencing some of the most. Uh, pointed uh, authors of the day, or on-point authors and, and, and uh, authoresses, I guess. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we're fighting a battle against, number one, the Prince of Darkness, number two, against Google Analytics, number three, against the Prince and Power of the Air and his minions, whether they're demons, fallen angels, you name it. And so, you know, it, it comes to the point where not only does the whole world lie in the evil one, but now the whole world is at war. Whether you believe or not is, uh, and I, I find it interesting, Doug, people that absolutely want to take me apart or Tom apart or you apart, they still turn in and, and to tune in and turn on this show because they know that something deep inside them, they can say, well, I just call, you know, tune in to mock you or hear the newest nonsense from you. But I think it goes beyond that. I think point blank that it's all about the last vestiges that people will have, whether the editor of Charisma Magazine or the woman says, don't listen to the doom and gloom prophets of destruction. And that's, she said, and that's why people have a bad taste about prophecy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's your job to judge not only prophecy, but to take the things that Tom and I talk to and take it to the Lord. And I want to deal with one issue right now, Tom, and I think uh, this will save and talk and, and emails later. 
Second Timothy two fourteen through sixteen. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more godliness. Now I've gotten emails from people that say, Well, you're not even to deal with myths and legends and all this stuff. You need to talk about Jesus. For the record, critics, for the record, this is all about Jesus. Because it seems to me, Doug, that even those who uh, claim to be Christians have a real hard time with the truth. Now, the, the, I'm going to read this. The original Greek words are, are equally pungent. Profane is the Greek babelos, meaning sacrilegious or irreverent or vulgar. The term vain babblings is one Greek word, kinophonia, meaning empty soundings. The admonition refers not so much to vulgar three-corner conversation, however, but more to the irreverent metaphysical speculations and verbose meanderings of evolutionary humanists. And I would say this, contemporary science. Christians who aspire to peer approval by pseudo-intellectuals of the educational, scientific, or theological establishments are especially in need of Paul's counsel on this topic. Christians should not enter into dialogue with those who engage in such profane and vain babblings. Rather, we are to shun such conversations. Uh, we are to avoid them. That was Henry Morris. But here's what I said, and this goes into tonight's show that Tom and I will be talking about. I said, the average Christian has no idea of how to deal with Ephesians 6. Jesus warned us that the days of Noah would return prior to the coming of the Son of Man. The world has embraced Satanism, the occult and New Age, largely because a Christian chose not to be educated and involved in spiritual warfare. This resulted in the salt having lost its savor and henceforth the trampling underfoot of the Son of God. God's people don't want responsibility, but they will be held accountable. They may say, Jesus saves, to which I answer, from what? These same people don't understand. Vain babblings have a totally different meaning. Intellectual arguments is what Paul is talking, or Timothy is talking about, to which the Apostle Paul stated that the power of God does not stand to the strength of the arguments, but in demonstration of the power of God. Remember, the Greeks worshipped the fallen angels, who masqueraded as their gods. The Titans, fallen angels, and the Olympians, the offspring of the fallen angels, and that's who they worship. I find the ones who quote the scripture are both clueless and generally cowards when it comes to reality, wanting to kiss the devils behind to go along to get along with the world. Now, someone says, what kind of talk is that for somebody who claims to be a Christian? Well, number one, I claim that all who call upon the name of Lord Jesus Christ in repentance shall be saved. So the point is, is that uh, the, this whole Branson Conference, never in the history of conferences, and nobody can speak to that issue better than Tom Horn, because I think, you know, Tom, you've been at every one. I'm going to turn it right over to you. Uh, it's to equip the saints. You need to first understand who your enemy is. You need to understand how that enemy is influencing society. You need to understand why there is a global conspiracy of ultimately the destruction of Christians the global destruction through transhumanism and genetic engineering to destroy the very image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So I think it's important that, you know, people recognize that live streaming, and by the way, because we have to buy it in blocks of a 1,000, there's only 330 spots left open. Now, a lot of people didn't take us seriously when we said, look, the conference is going to sell out. By the way, Tom said you're going to sell it out, you know, way faster than you thought. So the, the reason that we do what we do and are bringing this conference together, and for the record, you guys, some of these conferences take a year to put into place, and there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on, not to mention all the background support, all the people that are going to make everything working, you know, our 10-by-30-foot television screen. The reason that we're doing this is to give you what I believe is your end-time understanding. And then Henry Gruber, you know, a marvelous man of God, and David Langford will be preaching and teaching and sharing with you how to equip the saints. They equip, listen, the saints are caught with their pants down, literally. The saints are caught being mocked. If you haven't seen the London Daily Mail mocking Joel Osteen, then uh, you haven't probably seen the rest of the world. Well, the, uh, many of the black churches immediately opened up their congregations and their churches to those who were needing help. Uh, some of the more well-known, obviously well-known preachers, Osteen being the head, didn't do it until he was shamed into doing it. That's not lost on God. So in essence, what's happening, in my opinion, is the people that don't want to listen to doom and gloom, prophets of destruction, well, they just... They just threw out, and this woman, uh, I intend to answer her uh, specifically. They just threw out the Old Testament prophets. She just basically mocked Jesus and the book of Revelation because it isn't all have a group hug, sing kumbaya, and can't we all get along with the world. That's total blasphemy, it's total heresy, and it's feel-good, you know, Christianity. And feel-good Christianity won't feel so good when the full force and fury of war that's coming. Uh, Tom can talk about that. He's talked about that in his new book, Saboteurs. But Tom, let's give let's give people, and, and this is a good uh, place to start, and I'll turn it over to you, how you got started on this research, because you're an Assembly of God pastor in your background. You were basically high up in the Assembly of God and, and dealing with a lot of their programs and bringing those guys into the 20th century maybe the 21st century. So how did you get started? I think people need to understand that the people that are going to be at Branson are very different from a lot of the people that attend a lot of conferences, meaning those who are speakers. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, so I'll get uh, on to that. But you got me uh, wanting to say a couple of things here. Uh, You know, you're talking about uh, persecution of people that are preachers of the truth. This was exactly what happened with Jesus Christ. He came preaching the truth. He even talked about how that generation reminded him of a bunch of children that wanted to sit around on the streets and say, pipe for us so that we can dance, Uh, tell us happy, happy, joy, joy thoughts. And he did uh, tell them some happy thoughts, but he also gave them the truth. And, you know, ever find meals, both salt and pepper, right? I mean, you have to deal with uh, reality. And right now, the reality is there is a significant darkness. We'll talk about some of that tonight. You mentioned my new book, Saboteurs. That's going to be out in October. And I'm I'm going to do two things with that. I'm going to give people a money-back guarantee because it's the best thing I've ever written. It's the most important thing I've ever written. But the other thing I'm going to do is put a warning on it. Frankly, there are Christians who should not read this book. Truthfully, they should not read it. It's going to scare them. It's going to upset them. Um, and it's because it's a no-holds-barred investigation into the deep occultism 
in Washington, D.C., some of which I want to be able to talk about tonight. But, <clears throat> but before we get to all that, uh, Steve, you kind of um, got my motor turning here because what we do is we talk about prophecy. Jesus talked about prophecy. All of Matthew 24, 30, all of Matthew 24, he's talking about what's going to come uh, in the end of times, Luke 17, all these portions of Scripture in which he's talking about the signs of the end times. Well, one of the signs of the end times is what you're talking about right now, uh, and uh, that uh, a period in history wherein true believers are going to be persecuted, true believers. And in fact, you know, uh, we did this program, uh, you and me and, and the Hagmans did this program a year ago, A Blood on the Altar, the coming war between Christian versus Christian. So it isn't just persecution of Christians by outsiders. It's one whole side of the modern-day denominationalism, uh, and, and the Bible says about them that not only are we going to be beheaded for our witness of Jesus Christ, but the day is coming when those who deliver you up to be afflicted and kill you uh, are going to think that they are in the service of God. And so it, it doesn't surprise me, Steve and uh, Joe and Doug, that we're seeing this division now that's happening where you have those who are saying, uh, you know, don't listen to those prophets of doom. Uh, come over here and let's all sing Kumbaya, uh, because this was the way it was at the time of Christ. It's the way it's prophesied to be at the end of time. It's actually a sign that we're entering into a period called the Great Tribulation period, uh, in which the man of sin uh, is going to behead those uh, who will not worship him, the beast, the false prophet, is going to cause the organized church to give power unto his image, to bow down before him. So that's 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 exactly what's happening. I'm glad you opened the show by bringing that up, Steve. And, and you know, if I could just say this, Steve, uh, Blood on the Altar, it, to me, is one of the most relevant books today. Uh, reading that again here over the last couple of weeks, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks ago. It's just, it really strikes at the heart of what's going on. And to think that, you know, Tom, what you just said, to think that um, we'll have Christians taking us to the gallows, literally and figuratively, of course, but literally taking us to the gallows, chopping our heads off, um, or at least with their facilitation and applause, is chilling, to say the least. And, and yeah, you're right on the money, and you've always been ahead of the curve in all of this. So thank you. And saboteurs. Um, just from what I know of it, and I, I'm sneaky this way. I, I, I'm an investigator, so, um, I, I can, I'm allowed to be. But, um, it's gonna be just, it's gonna, it's gonna be, you're, I think you're right. I think it's, it should come with a warning label and perhaps your best work ever. So thank well, you for I, that. I, I, you know, I don't ever tell people this is my best work ever because uh, I, if I'm working on a book project like this one right now, Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters, the documentary film, I'm always, if I'm doing it, it's because I'm into it. Um, but, uh, I had some rare opportunities that are outlined in that book, and we're not talking about that tonight, so I won't, I won't roll off on it. Maybe yes, we'll sir. come back and do a different show sure. on it. But I had real opportunities. I mean, we, I went back to the house of the temple, we got beneath the surface, but I'm also, in fact, I'm going back 
Uh, right after the conference, Steve, I'm going back to Washington, D.C. I'm going to be meeting with Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis at the Pentagon, where I'm going to be introduced to, to some different people there. Uh, but there's a whole lot that's going to come out in this, and uh, let's just say that it makes Pizzagate uh, look like a, a, a 12-year-old's birthday party. So, um, and maybe we'll talk about that too. But now let's talk about, un, uh, you know, how did I get started this whole unearthing the lost world of the cloud eaters? Uh, it, it, you have this groundbreaking book, first book ever by me and Steve Quayle together. Uh, that's one surprise to a lot of people since we've been doing radio since the shortwave radio days. You know, everybody thinks that we've done a dozen books together. We have it. This is actually the very first time. And then there's the documentary film from Gen 6 Productions, which is, again, setting the bar on how uh, fine Christian filmmaking ought to be made. And then there's the conference, and the conference is almost sold out right now. I talked to the guy that's helping us with this here just a couple of days ago at Steve's conference. Uh, I'm just there, and I'm going to be part of it, and I'm going to speak. Uh, but um, there's only a limit of uh, just under 3,000 seats. And almost every one of them is sold already. It's going to be sold by the time we get there. So if people are listening to this program tonight and they want to be there in person, man, they need to run right now to the hey, website. Hey, Tom, Tom? Yeah. Hey, Tom, I need to interrupt you. There is no more space because we've got to uh, abide by it, you know. So there are only uh, positions, 370 left for live streaming. Oh, I and got I you. Say, so, I mean, there's only 370 yeah. left for live streaming. Wow. Okay. Yes, sir. Well, so people need to do that. So there's going to be there's going to be right at 3,000 of us that are going to be at the um, um, what do they call the the place where we're going to um, the mansion. Yeah, the, the 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 Branson Mansion, big, beautiful, yep. gorgeous performance theater. This is where the Oak Ridge Boys do like 25 concerts a year and a whole bunch of other really well known. Group so gigantic stage with all the lights. I'm just hoping Steve can use some of those lights to make me look pretty. Uh, but big, big, huge place, and it's just packed to the walls. Then every seat in it is sold, uh, and then people around the world are going to be watching the live stream. Well, if, if there's only 300 or whatever you just said left, they need to do that. Um, you're going to be there, Steve. I'm going to be there. Uh, La Marzuli is going to be there presenting. Of course, Timothy Alberino. Uh, Dr. Michael Lake is going to be there. You mentioned Pastor Langford earlier. Uh, Derek Gilbert, the host of Skywatch Television, is going to be there. And Selm Piramba. I mean, I'm really looking forward. Um, you know, this guy is a legendary European uh, uh, adventurer. And he, I think he's going to be bringing, I've heard some stuff behind the scenes, maybe I shouldn't even uh, mention it and not give it up, but he's going to be bringing some stuff on maybe uh, the Vatican and some of his uh, work there. Uh, but yeah, nothing like this before. And by the way, if you limit conferences in the United States just to prophecy-themed conferences, there's no other conference in the nation that even comes close to how uh, well this has sold out, Steve. So kudos to you. It does show that in spite of the fact that you're being listed you know, uh, by some of these fake news, hate group, washed-up, right-wing watch, whatever they're called, uh, news agencies, that... Uh, the majority of people out there that, that are attuned to the times are very much interested in and want to know. They want to know. They want to know the facts of what has happened, is happening, is coming, but also what can they do about it if they want to be empowered to know what actions they can take. And, of course, 
I know that uh, Pastor Langford and, and some of the uh, Henry Groover will be able to also give the, them the biblical equipment to be able to deal with what is coming upon the earth so that they too uh, will not have hearts failing them for fear, right? Exactly, and I think to uh, to everyone that's listening, this is an a time. This is a time of equipping of the saints. Tom and I and L.A. Marzulli and Anselm P. Rambla and Derek Gilbert and Derek will be moderating our uh, roundtable, Tom, between you and I and Tim, and uh, you know we'll try and cover the most uh, prescient information and the most commonly asked questions. But going through this whole, if you will, over and over in my head, I think this thing has been so orchestrated by, by the living God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we, we could not have arranged in South America what came out. And those of you that were there with us on the uh, True Legends expedition were blown away, too, because you watched a very high-ranking, quote, Vatican officials lie to your faces and tell you that Father Gamara, Father Gamara, by the way, Tom, was the guy that gave Anselm P. Ramla the permission to excavate uh, in the Corey into the Shinkana, the underground tunnel system that basically everybody knew existed, but the official position of the church is there is no such thing. And why this is important is because Anselm, basically, and this guy's been all over the world, one of the most famous explorers in the world, and some of the most striking uh, adventures and, uh, and um, oh, good night, the exposure of so much hidden archaeology and real archaeology. There was, a, there was an attempt, even while we were there, they said that Father Gamara was not on the uh, premises. And lo and behold, he literally shows up in the courtyard. We got him on film stating, you know, and he called Anselm, uh, P, 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 like Pi, is uh, his middle, uh, middle initial and name. And he acknowledged and said on camera, yes, it's all true. Even when we got the guys in their multi-thousand-dollar suits, their mics, their headphones, people flipping out, you know, trying to deny it, trying to basically say, you can't film, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I, I love it. I called it God's sense of humor because they were telling us that we can't do this, we can't do that, and in walks the man that can validate it all. But what we're trying to do, ladies and gentlemen, is to bring you uh, six different viewpoints of not overlapping investigation, but unique. And see, this is kind of like the temple that was built in the wilderness. Everything has been built separately, and now God himself is bringing the pieces of the puzzle together. And, you know, I've quoted Newton's statement that at the time of the end, God's going to raise up a group of men who are going to be given to prophecy, but it's going to be amongst much clamor and opposition. Tom, you quoted the scripture that there'll be coming a time when men will kill us, claiming they're doing God a favor. I already see the lines being drawn. I believe this this Charisma article, and I will answer that woman, uh, is the first shot or salvo. If Jesus himself said, just as in the days of Noah, you've got to understand, we live in George Orwell's prophetic written world now, and he made the statement, they who control the past determine the future. I believe that by the time you've listened to Derek Gilbert talking about inception, you've listened to Dr. Uh, uh, Michael, uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Michael Lake, uh, I'm just trying to keep the order in my head, he did the most marvelous job on Doug, your show last week. He was ex 
ex- exquisite. So when you hear all these guys, L.A., Timothy Alberino, who's got this stuff dialed in like, like nobody's tomorrow, and plus he's half my age, Tom. The thing is, is that we're, we're, that's important because the young people have got to grow up in the things of God, turn off their video games, turn off the devil vision, and begin to seek the truth to seek the truth of God's Word. And, and, you know, I'm concerned, Doug, for the generation now that is right behind ours, I guess they'd almost be now our grandchildren's age coming up, is that fact that they, they know not God. The hunger for things of God, it's dying out. The wax of, uh, the, excuse me, the love of many is waxing cold. The salt has lost its savor. And, you know, you can go on wanting to make uh, happy talk in Charisma Magazine, and that's even a, a mis- uh, named magazine if they're taking that position because the testimony of jesus is a spirit of prophecy if jesus didn't think the days of noah were important and just as tom listed mark uh matthew i'm sorry matthew 24 uh luke 21 mark 10 or 11 and all the prophecies of daniel all the prophecies of isaiah ezekiel jeremiah amos uh haggai hosea zechariah these are not in order by the way i'm just saying this and the greatest prophet of all is Jesus. And, and, and when if people will not listen to that, and, you know, I understand now where uh, basically there, is, there has been a gospel ignorance that has resulted in the divorce from those who claim to know Jesus as Lord and Savior to not even believing that anymore, claiming Jesus is a metaphor of good, the devil's a metaphor of evil, and that, uh, you know, Jesus just came along to help us live better lives. That's horse manure. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no redemption. So why is this situation in Branson so important? I can tell you this, that when men of God like Henry and David Langford are praying and fasting, praying and fasting, calling on God to make and to move amongst the people of God, something's going to happen. And I mean that for a good state. We're going to give you the background. And, it, you know, some people say, well, it's so scary. No, it's not scary. Your primary weapon in overcoming fear is knowing what is coming on the horizon. What do you think people go to fortune tellers and read chicken entrails or basically, you know, do horoscopes or do all the things or, you know, do human sacrifice? They want to know what the future holds. And so just as they who control the past determine the future, they're doing everything they can to try and get in to the space-time continuum and to change history. Well, I got news for you. The God of heaven allows them only to go so far. So when people tell you time is speeding up, it literally is speeding up because it's a biblical statement for the elect's sake. And, uh, you know, the idea simply is this. In Branson, you'll be presented with, I would say, six very, very determined and I would say highly researched efforts of everyone that has has even been invited to that and it's not that we think that we know everything or that nobody knows anything else and I've had people suggest that because they're not invited. I say look this thing came together fast, this is who the Lord laid on my heart and I've never met Dr. Michael Lake I just recently met L.A. Marzulli in uh, uh, Peru and obviously I know Derek from his interviews, and I actually coined a term, Tom, I don't know if you know this, but I now have a new word. It's called uh, Encyclopedia Gilbertica. Sounds like you know this. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, mean, I don't think uh, there's somebody that can do a better interview 
Ben Derrick. That's not flattery. That's not, uh, you know, anything other than that. So the, the purpose of all of this at Branson and then that for you to take it forth from that is to get you trained. Because I'm telling you this, when, when what continues to happen, that's already happening in Houston. And if you haven't noticed, ladies and gentlemen, the entire red state area along the Gulf Coast now going up the East Coast, isn't it interesting? It sure isn't hitting California and it sure isn't li- uh, hitting the liberal, uh, uh, if you will, I call it hellhole states. What it's hitting is the red states. And so we're talking about gasoline. You know, Tom, I posted, a, I think, an alert yesterday in my alert section and told everybody gas is going to dry up and then it's going to be food. People don't understand Houston is not only one of the biggest ports in the United States, third largest city, but it feeds. It, it literally, and no pun on the word, but it provides food and all the goods, the entire East Coast going up into the central plains of the United States. So I, I, it's already in the land. The famine is coming. And if you think 8 to $10 a gas for gasoline, which is now uh, being seen in Dallas, wait until you see 10 bucks for a can of uh, soup, uh, you know, chunky bee soup, 10 bucks. You think that's so far-fetched? You watch it. You see, I've come, I've come to the point, and you know I've said this, Doug, you know I've said this, Tom, but people don't want to know the truth because, quote, it scares them. It's not that it scares them primarily. It's that it demands action on their part. How many people stayed in Houston seeing the horrific satellite pictures because they listened to the words of a man who obviously now in retrospect has lost all credibility, the mayor, and this is the same thing over and over and over. I posted another alert, and it's all based on prophecy by um, my friend, and she's a former DHS, FEMA, you know, uh, emergency management person telling that they knew about this hurricane months ago and the whole thing is the moving of entire populations out of areas into control zones. I know her. She's, she is who she says she is. So how is this important to what we're talking about tonight? I know Tom Horn very well. We've spent a lot of time, a lot of years on talk radio. Uh, I think a room in their home is devoted to Steve. I've been out there so many times, and thank you, and, and Nita, for your lovely hospitality. But the point is, is that we're doing what God has called us to do. And, Tom, uh, you know, go ahead and share how you got into this, because I think, you know, the Bible says, know them that labor amongst you. And I don't think people understand that, you know, it, it, the the amount of background, uh, blessing, movement, disappointments, discouragements, everything that God does to bring a person, a man or a woman, to the point where he can use them. And as you said, you thought you would retire. So share your story, because I think it's pretty amazing. Well, <clears throat> and so one final thing, because you keep uh, firing up my motor here. Uh, people need to know that, again, it's Bible prophecy that the day is coming when it says the Antichrist is going to be given power to make war against the saints and to overcome them. So that's the reason that we don't try to put you know sugar on every cake we serve, um, that if we are truly moving into a prophetic era of time, uh, people like you and I would have said, get out of your houses, move now. Uh, it, how heartbreaking was it, Stephen? You recall this, by the way. Uh, when Fukushima first happened, all of us, you sell uh, uh, emergency supplies, I sell emergency supplies, 
and we were all sold out in one day. The rest of the year, you're sitting there, you've got all these supplies, the warehouses are full, people can get potassium iodide, they can get nuke detectors, they can get all this stuff, gas masks, they get long-term storage food, water purification systems, they can get all this stuff. It's just sitting there ready, right? It's not even all that expensive, but they just don't do it. And then all of a sudden, you have a Fukushima, and we've got stuff that's coming that's going to put Fukushima to shame. Uh, now everybody's clamoring. Well, we sold out in one day. In one day, we were out of everything, and we had backlogged orders for six months. In fact, we had to just start giving people's money back. We had to just start saying we can't take orders. Remember, Mountain House Foods shut down their uh, their website. Thyro uh, Safe Potassium Iodide shut down their website. They just said, "Sorry, folks, there's nothing. You're on your own." Well, that's. That That is why people should do what you said a moment ago, Steve. When they can, as they have the opportunity, to whatever extent they can, they ought to prepare, uh, not just for, obviously, for the kind of uh, terrible circumstances um, that we're seeing right now in Texas, but, but this other stuff, the coming of Antichrist, this is going to be a whole different new kind of level, and people need to be ready. So anyway, all right, I know we're not here to talk about that today. And the, and the whole truth is, you know, uh, how I got started really is how did I get started on this subject matter? How did we wind up in the Four Corners area? You know, it, it seems like that's been a couple of years ago to me now, but it wasn't. It wasn't even a year ago. And here's me, you, Timothy Alberino, the whole uh, Skywatch television team, the Defender Publishing team, uh, your group, you're flying in in this big helicopter into the Valley of the Gods. Um, how did we wind up uh, in, that, uh, in that place, and what were we doing there? Now, that's part of what this conference is going to be about, but it really goes to some much deeper questions, not just the bones of the giants. That's part of it that's important, that's part of American history, and that also tells us a whole lot that dates back to the watchers who descended in the days of Jared, what they were doing, but also what Jesus says as it was in the days of Noah. You quoted that a moment ago, what they intend to do in the future. But it isn't just them, it's their devotees. How many people realize that in Washington, D.C. today, there are people who are making concerted efforts to try to bring about the revival of the spirit of the Watchers, the Nephilim, the king of the giants that the book of Revelation says is bound in the bottomless pit for the time being. Um, these are, this is stuff that puts Hollywood to shame. They can't make film, uh, they can't make uh, movies that are uh, as exotic and frankly terrifying as what the future of the world is set to behold, and and this is why people are going to be frozen in their tracks, and frankly, be susceptible to the lies of Antichrist and to the lies of the anti-church. That are those ones that are going to cast their lot for the destruction of believers who otherwise are giving them the truth, and that's why they need to get the truth now. So um, now, for me, how you know how did I get started into all this? I'm not going to go into all this stuff about me and Chris Putnam. But um, uh, if people listening to this program are not aware, I think, I think Joe and Doug, I think you said something about Chris Putnam when he passed away. Yes, sir, we did. Yeah, yes. uh, and I appreciate that so much. Um, how I got into this line of thought and then began to appreciate 
the importance of it. Uh, I'm speaking at the Strategic Perspectives Conference for our good friend Chuck Misler about five years ago now, probably. Um, and um, my son and I, we're standing in the back room, uh, and we're talking about how weird it is that you have this 900-year-old Catholic, Catholic prophecy, and no matter what you make of it, you believe it, you don't believe it, you think it was all a big hoax, it didn't matter. It had historical uh, importance because it's a 900-year-old Catholic prophecy that certainly was held in high esteem by even some of the popes. And my son and I, Joe Artis, we're talking about that, and we're saying, isn't it weird that there's only 112 lines, and Pope number 111, Pope Benedict XVI, is the pope right now, but if he dies or if he steps aside, the very next guy is going to be the final one in this prophecy. And nobody has written a thorough uh, examination uh, of this prophecy of the popes. And so I'm a publisher, so I'm always thinking about, you know, the types of things that should be published. And Joe uh, started really encouraging me, you know, Dad, you're a publisher, you, you really ought to put together an outline and write something on this. And, and it, this is how preternatural all this began, and literally supernatural events began clicking off one after the other. It's at that moment, I go up to my hotel room because I'm waiting on my opportunity to speak. Somebody like Joel Richardson or somebody was up there speaking. And I went up to my hotel room to send myself an email uh, with the note ideas that me and Joe had talked about, about the prophecy of the popes and why I should publish a book about it. And I open up my email account, and I have an email from a guy that I've never met before. And I've only ever uh, even just barely heard. I knew he had a blog or something. I wasn't even sure about it. But I had an email from this guy named Chris Putnam. And he wanted to know if he could use the only paragraph that I had ever written. And I had written it all the way back in 2009, so eight years ago. One paragraph, all I ever wrote, where I said, you know, these the people with the year 2012 fascination, the Maya and all that, wouldn't it be interesting if the if the prophecy of the popes also kind of unrolled at this same time. And uh, so but I got this email from Chris Putnam, and he wants to know, hey, Tom, uh, my name's Chris Putnam. I'm in Bible college. I'm writing a term paper. Can I use the paragraph in my term paper that you wrote, um, you know, whenever I wrote it? And I emailed him back, and I said, Chris, you can't believe the timing of your inquiry. I said, I was just now talking to my son about the prophecy of the popes, which I haven't even thought about in years, and I was getting ready to produce an outline. Anyway, I don't want to give it to you blow by blow, but a long story short, a whole series of events uh, put me and Chris Putnam together. We decided to write that book together. Uh, during our investigation, we had our own reasons why we came to believe that Pope Benedict XVI was going to step down. We published this. We're on TV talking about it. You can look up the YouTubes where a year before the event, we said we believe that Pope Benedict XVI is going to retire. He's going to cite health reasons for doing it to open the door for the arrival of the final pope and the final pope prophecies, Pope number 112. And furthermore, we went out on a limb. We said we think this is going to happen in April of 2012. Well, when April uh, of 2012 came and went, it didn't appear that the Benedict was going to retire. We thought, well, we missed the date, but we still think the book's valid. But then, uh, February 28, uh, 2013, Benedict announces his uh, uh, resignation as Pope, and that very same day, the uh, news outlet for the Vatican, the El Observatorio Romano, they gave an interview 
to the New York Times, you can still Google this and read it, in which they admitted that Pope Francis had secretly retired. April 2012, months earlier, he had done it privately after he returned from a trip in March of 2012. He had done it privately with the uh, courier, because if you recall, at that time was the whole WikiLeaks, I mean the whole, uh, uh, what were they calling it, the VatiLeaks? The VatiLeaks scandal, where they were releasing <laughs> different documents being stole out of the Pope's office and all that, so they were very careful about it. And uh, so we had got the month and the year correct. Now, it is true that Chris and I both had some Vatican, I wouldn't even say they're Vatican insiders, they were conservative cardinals two of them, uh, very conservative. These guys, by the way, do not like Pope Francis, I'll tell you that. Um, and uh, they gave us a little bit of information, but a lot of the other part of it was just uh, Hagman level, you know, get down in the dirt, investigation, go through thousands of pages of documentation, uh, uh, and we finally came up with that conclusion. Well, anyway... When we got that date right, man, my phone was ringing off the hook. We had people everywhere that was wanting us. We had people that even wanted us to go to Rome, but we were warned not to do it, so we didn't go to Rome. Uh, but the movie, uh, The Final Pope, was made about it. Just a whole lot of stuff, right, because we got that date correct. But here's the thing. I'm, I'm saying all that to say this. I want to bring it to the unearthing the lost world of the cloud eaters. And what put me on this path was, well, uh, uh, Putnam then and I, we're out there doing all these programs, right? Uh, television, radio, and wherever there was opportunity for people to call in and ask questions, we were surprised that more often than not, they weren't asking us about the prophecy of the Pope. They were intrigued with that, but what they were asking us was, what do you make of the Vatican being out there now, talking so much about extraterrestrial intelligence and saying that they would baptize aliens? Do you remember that? Yeah, because it was around 2009 that the Vatican hosted this astrobiology study week. So around the same time that we're working on this book, and we're out there talking, they had hosted this astrobiology study week, and it was really strange because they uh, they they uh, they called together uh, leaders from academia, uh, geologists, uh, nuclear uh, physicists. Uh, quantum physicists. Uh, I don't even think they were using the term astrobiology in 2009, but but that's what they would be today. People that study uh, deep space with the question of you know uh, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Study. They called all these people together from around the world, and they only had one question: come to come to Rome because we want to we want to discourse for a week of study on one question, and it was this. And people can Google this. I know it sounds fantastic, but it's true. The one question, what is the impact on faith and religion going to be given the disclosure or the discovery of advanced extraterrestrial intelligence? It was only 90 days later that the oldest scientific body in the world, the Royal Society, um, they come together. They, too, convene all these people from around the world, including theologians, and, and ask the very same question. This is the 350th year anniversary, the oldest scientific body on Earth. Uh, and, uh, you know, you've got the, the, the Queen, uh, the Queen, I forget what he's even called, but he's the Astronomer Royale. Got all these people there, and they're asking this question. What is the impact on faith going to be? So, 
you know, all around the world now, suddenly everybody's asking this question. They're calling into the shows Chris and I are doing. They're uh, contacting the Vatican. but And the Vatican so sends out these two uh, uh, primary astronomers for the church, Jose Gabriel Funes, who at that time was the head of the Vatican Observatory Research Group, and Guy Consolmagno, who was the Pope's personal astronomer and the keeper of their uh, asteroid fragment collections, um, but uh, who today is the head of the Vatican Observatory Research Group. And for the last year, by the way, guess what? He's been on a tour going around the world. He wrote a book, and he's doing these big lectures at universities. And guess what the name of the, uh, the lecture is? Would you baptize an alien? And so this whole conversation got out there. But here's what was weird about this. They started talking about, would you baptize an alien? And uh, Pope Benedict said he would. You notice that Pope Francis, as soon as he was elected, said that if the little green man land on the White House lawn tomorrow, he would baptize an alien. So they started talking about that kind of stuff. But then they started ratcheting it up. It started changing little by little. It's very subtle how they kind of introduce people to the idea and what's in philosophy what's called the Fabian process of gradualism that very slowly take people from one line of thinking, get you comfortable with it, then they take you to another line of thinking, then they t- or the Hegelian dialect. They take you to a different line of thinking until eventually you'll accept something that in the beginning you wouldn't even imagined you would have believed. So they're saying, yeah, I mean, we're just talking theoretically. Uh, the Vatican's had problems in the past persecuting scientists, so we, we want to get out ahead of all this and just say that with all these exo-worlds that are being uh, discovered, that uh, if the if we detect alien intelligence, uh, that uh, we would be willing to baptize them in the Catholic faith. Then, a few months later, they ratchet it up to a different place, and Jose Funes comes out and he gives this interview, and he says, now, people have asked, would the detection of extraterrestrial intelligence, would this challenge the authority of the Roman Catholic Church? And he said, no, it would not, because these would be our space brothers, uh, because if they're part of creation, then the God that we serve created them. Then, a couple of months later, he ratchets it up a little further, and he says, not only would it not be against the faith to uh, believe in extraterrestrial intelligence, but he said the fact is the heresy would be if you don't believe in extraterrestrial intelligence, because that would be to put limits on God's uh, uh, creative ability. And I know we're going to hit a break here in a minute, so let me just give you a couple more they then ratcheted up, well, a process of this one year, they ratcheted up even further, and they start saying, now, if, if we come into contact with the extraterrestrials, it might not be us baptizing them after all. Why? Because what we know about ourselves is that we are fallen, but we couldn't naturally assume necessarily that the aliens are fallen, and if they're unfallen, then they're closer to God than we are, and they have a better understanding of the Godhead and of the gospel and everything else. Then they ratcheted it up to a completely different place and even wrote a paper, an Opus Dei-level paper, that's still being evaluated in Rome, being considered as official doctrine for the the Pope's uh, university, in which they went so far as to say, uh, you know, when the aliens come here, yeah, we're not going to be baptizing them. They're going to be baptizing us into their faith. And frankly, we might have to rewrite, reconsider everything we've ever thought we knew. This is their. This is what they're working on right now. Every uh, if they say they they say if information from an extraterrestrial source 
would challenge what we think we know about the gospel, and if it could be verified, uh, how I don't know how you verify <laughs> this, right? But if it can be verified as being legitimate, then we may have to rethink and rewrite everything we've ever thought we knew about the gospel. So uh, when we come back from the break, I can tell you then how that kind of discussion uh, led me and Chris Putnam to going to the top of Mount Graham and how ultimately that led all of us, me, Steve, all of us, to the Four Corners area and the fantastic discoveries that we made there. Yeah, and Steve, we've got about a minute. Fifty before the top of the hour break. You okay. want to take it? Uh, you, you want to sure. take a minute? Uh, in Branson, I'm going to be covering the pre-Adamic angelic civilization, which all myths, legends, and all of the oral traditions speak about the Golden Age. Then I'm moving into Mars. Mars is really important because I'm dealing with astral catastrophism. Astral catastrophism is something that goes beyond Emmanuel Velikovsky's Worlds in Collision. Most people can't even uh, understand that the heavens, they were uh, people on Earth were terrified by the cataclysms they had seen the orbital uh, physics that we now see when we see the pictures of the universe uh, aren't the same that existed 700 years before uh, Jesus was born. And so, and by the way, I don't buy BCD and all that stuff, you know. I say before uh, the birth of Jesus and after the resurrection of Jesus. I don't mean to be difficult, but I refuse to allow them to control the narrative. So what I'll be presenting, Tom, is I put together a pretty amazing... Uh, uh, actually, J.D. Hopwood did the uh, uh, editing of this and stuff, but he followed my chapter that came right out of, guess where, Cloud Eaters. So, uh, Cloud Eaters, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, are the Native Americans' term for, and you guessed it, giants that are returning. So when people say to me, how did you get started, Genesis the book of Genesis so was opened up to me by the, I would say, the mercy of God. I was so stupid, Doug. I couldn't believe in anything when I first got saved until two people came and laid their hands on me from a Bible school saying God sent them. People can, you know, argue with that all the time. And they do argue with me. But look, I went from the guttermost to the uttermost with zero knowledge of anything to a passion to learn the Word of God and listen to all the great teachers of their day of my day in those days I mean these were guys that were you know just magnificent teachers of the word of God Derek Prince and Leonard Ravenhill and all the different people and and I mean uh, Bob Mumford uh, great sense of humor uh, Charles Simpson I mean the who's who that God was using to teach his people that there's uh, a day coming when the scriptures will be open to him so that's kind yeah. of my basic getting it together it's an amazing story, too. Folks, we're going to be right back. Tom Horn and Steve Quayle. What an amazing, uh, what an amazing segment. What an amazing, uh, two men. Stay right where you're at. Network break three minutes. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. 
Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report, our guests are Steve Quayle and Tom Horn. And boy, did they cover a lot of ground in that first hour. We have one hour left. Tom, real quick, kind of switching gears here. I just want to tell you, I've been reading your book that you co-authored with Terry Cook, Beast Tech, again, and I'm finding it so fascinating. Uh, the sec- it's been a while since I read it, but going through it again, it is more similar to the things that we see happening today than it was when you actually first wrote the book and it's pretty amazing to see even some of the stuff you're talking about tonight uh, versus what you have in the book all ties together this uh, spiritual agenda that we have that is destroying the spirituality of many people in this world as they move away from God to the acceptance of this technological uh, type artificial intelligence savior, if you will, and it's it's um, folks. I would urge everybody to go go back and get the book Beast Tech again and, and read that. It's a fantastic book. But one chapter that I really like that I read a third time, Tom, is the trigger event when six 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 becomes mandatory overnight, and the one before that, the future of marked 
humanity. It seems like those battle lines are being drawn today. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in fact, it's, what's interesting is that book was on my mind, too, because uh, we have a whole chapter in there where we were saying, look, a lot of people are saying microchip technology is not going to be the technology that's going to be used for biometric identification, embedded chips, that is, for biometric identification. And we, you know, we also talked about a lot of other ways in which people could be identified to fulfill the book of Revelation, you know, that no man might buy or sell, save he that hath the mark of the name of the beast or the number of the name. But, you know, even against what uh, was kind of popular thinking at the time. We said, we still think there could be a way uh, that this is going to happen. And what are we seeing right now across the nation? You know, uh, companies, uh, businesses, people are being voluntarily microchipped, and now some of the banking industry talking about how this could be like the next wave and uh, how buying and selling is going to happen. So, yeah, we're going to remain, It's we're going to wait to see. But, you know, the last time I was on Hagman and Hagman, we talked about how the University of London, and I'm glad that Steve is going to be talking about this whole subject around transhumanism and, and connecting the dots between that and what we discovered uh, in unearthing the lost world of the cloud eaters, uh, the subject of transhumanism, because it's really the same sin being repeated again, uh, where you, you have very powerful geneticists in the Old Testament. They're called watchers. They come down, they use the genetic makeup of women, combine that with animals, make these exotic bodies. That's how the giants arrived on the earth. So genetics is, is a key figure of this. But the University of London, uh, uh, pigeonholing me and Steve Quayle in what they called the Melu. Remember we talked about that on the last program? Uh, and that they are saying that we are the leaders of the transhumanist resistance. And so I've got news for them. Yeah, I got news for him. After the first of the year, we're going to we're going to publish a book called The Melu, Welcome to the Resistance, and we're going to talk about all the reasons why uh, we think there is good that will come out of biotechnology. I saw uh, an article today on how nanotech destroyed cancer within something like 60 seconds. Um, there could be some good things that come out of it, and Christians would not be opposed to good therapeutic, therapeutical uses of technology, but we also know that it's um, it's kind of a tricky little bio, you know, ethics uh, landmine, and that the good things are also going to be used to justify uh, altering that that God created uh, in His image. But anyway, oh, and I should also say, I always do something with the Hagmans that I don't do with anybody else. So anybody listening to this program tonight, uh, if you want. The uh, in the skywatchtvstore.com, skywatchtvstore.com, um, there is the uh, Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters book and Steve Quayle's DVD. There's a combo in there for that. It's actually we put the book and the DVD together and then actually reduced the price and then added a whole bunch of free stuff, free books and audio sets and all this stuff with it that we're giving away. Uh, and then you can also just get the book in there by itself. But if you do either one, if you want, if you don't have the book and you want it, or you want the DVD movie, go to skywatchtvstore.com, and, and uh, when you click on it to order it, on checkout, put in the uh, uh, promo code HAGMAN. We always do this with Hagmans. We don't do this with anybody else. We only do it with Hagman. Type in there uh, HAGMAN in the promo code, and we're going to send you the uh, last, DVD ever produced by Chris Putnam, which is on mm. the uh, Vatican extraterrestrial 
connection, fabulous DVD, very educational. We're going to give it to you that too for free in addition to everything else. And then we're also going to give you the deluxe hardback copy of the ancient book of Enoch. You can't get this from anybody else but us. We're going to give that to you for free too if you go there and you buy either the combination of me and uh, the book uh, and the DVD or even just buy the book by itself. But make sure you type in Hegman on checkout, and we're going to make sure that that gets sent to you. So it's a whole bunch of free stuff. If, you want. if you're going to buy the book, you might as well get the free stuff, too, right? Tom Horn, thank you. Thank you so much for your graciousness. And I know that that costs you a lot, and thank you for doing it. Uh, promo code Hagman, Skywatch, um, or, uh, yeah, SkywatchTVStore.com. Uh, thank you, promo code Hagman. And, Steve, real quick, just uh, I was thinking about this. I have the unique position as an investigator, uh, having watched you, Tom Horn, uh, Michael, Dr. Michael Lake, uh, Derek Gilbert, and everyone that's going to be at Branson conduct parallel investigations from afar, and like almost like a funnel. Um, although they're, they're par- parallel investigations, as you approached your, your investigative conclusions independently, it was almost like a funnel where they, or, or, or a, um, uh, shall we say, a, a, an overpass, a, you know, multiple overpass of intersection of roads. And it's just, uh, to me, it's of God because you could not have planned it. You could not have done what you did without the intervention of God, I believe, in terms of the conclusions. So that's why uh, the live streaming, the DVDs, and the event is going to be so critical. Go ahead, sir. Well, and are you turning it over to me now? Yes, sir. Steve? Oh, okay, I'm sorry, Doug. I didn't want to interrupt Tom. I think that one of the things that will be very useful to everyone is that there will probably be 12 to 14 hours of DVDs available. So for those of you that don't, uh, can't get to the conference, you're traveling, whatever, can't even uh, go on live streaming, there's no limit to the amount of DVDs. Now, I've asked Gordon, uh, the guy that's running this thing, McDonald, who, by the way, ran all of Chuck Missler's uh, conferences for 20-plus years, to have these DVDs available almost ASAP so the minute that you know we've got a master they go out and we're going to do our best to get these out immediately now for those of you around the world you know you still got uh, there's still 330 spots of live streaming my guess is by tomorrow that will be down to 280 and this is going to be a different conference this is a conference of impartation now I don't go to conferences and trust me it was Tom Tom's uh, prodding and in a good way, and others saying, you know, this might be something, uh, you know, that you want to look at. And finally, I got peace because, as most people know, I don't do conferences. That's not saying whoopee, but it's just because, um, you know, usually there are too many speakers, and I don't believe that, uh, you know, it serves a purpose when you get too many speakers. Now, saying that, the thing is, is that the focus on this is, I would say, history's jigsaw puzzle because unless you understand the root of evil you can't deal with the fruit of evil unless you understand why aliens cannot be baptized first and foremost they're not creating the image and likeness of god unless you understand transhumanism is to do away with the very seed that god created when he brought forth adam and eve and all of their children when he uh, he uh, basically hid noah and eight uh, souls in the ark they were the only pure genetic stock 
And from this point on, Doug, I don't think people understand how critical it is. One of the things I was, Tom, this is what blew a lot of people's mind when I first started on talk radio 20-some years ago in KHNC, Johnstown, Colorado. I said, the, the, the entities, and I use that term then too, and I, they call them globalists, occultists, Satanists, whatever. The point is, is that they're literally, the scientific arm of them are literally out looking for some of the most uh, uh, evil men in history. Because Jesus talks about, you know, the demons. When the demons go out of one person, they go walking in dark places looking for someone else. So imagine the reconstitution of the most villainous uh, uh, people on the planet, including Nimrod, including everybody that has been of legendary and evil fame. You can go to Hitler, you can go to uh, Mao, Stalin, you name it. And imagine those evil spirits once again becoming reincarnated in genetically modified bodies uh, made out of the DNA. You probably know how well that went over 25 years ago, Tom. It didn't. But, Doug, one of the things that's the problem is this. And no man understands the calling of another man except they who have received the calling. You can, you can see the, the fruit of the calling. You can look back. But at the end of the day, the guy that's called of God has to answer to God. And there's never going to be universal acceptance. I remember frustratingly seeking God on this, and, and he just dropped this into my spirit. No word of God spoken by a man of God is ever accepted by the people of God at the time it's given. And I'm being told, some of you might want to check it to see, but I'm being told that the Charisma News article pulled, uh, somebody's trying to pull it up, and they said, uh, there's nothing there. I don't know if someone's listening in real time, but if you are, shame on you. Because again, you know, there was a difference in the Old Testament, and prophets that wanted to speak nice and wonderful things to the people, versus those who declared the will of God. And the ones that declared the will of God didn't end up uh, basically having champagne uh, dinners and caviar dreams, okay? But they ended up uh, basically being put to death ultimately for their testimony. The two probably greatest prophets that that is accepted or an exception would be Enoch and Elijah. And so when we're we're coming together, we are basically... pieces of the puzzle. We're not the whole puzzle. But God is now starting to bring puzzle pieces together that most could not even seen the puzzle, let alone believe it was a puzzle that was being pieced together for the end time. Daniel talks about knowledge increasing and then being told by, by the angel, seal it up, Daniel, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, for knowledge shall run to and fro. Well, right now, it's almost impossible, Tom, you know this, just keeping up with the transhumanist articles on a daily basis is almost an impossibility. So how? here's my dilemma, everyone. How do I take 40, I think 45 years of stuff I've been writing about and then for the last 25 years broadcasting about, and how do I set that, and here's a word that I never thought would be coming out of my mouth, a linear, a linear and consistent fashion. Well, I got like, for the record, I have, you know, my PowerPoint that's kind of, uh, for me, the first time, but it's not going to be show and tell. It's going to be some pretty amazing stuff. Like I said, when you're dealing with the 
history of the world recorded. There's a reason why everybody was building solar observatories. There's a reason why everyone was worshiping the equinox. There's a reason why all this stuff is going on. And simply this, the ancients were terrified, absolutely terrified of the heavens and what uh, their oral traditions. I, it was basically the Egyptian priests of Sais who said to Solon, uh, Plato's uh, uh, grandfather, I think it was, that he said, when it comes to understanding the universe and understanding the catastrophic and cataclysmic events, you Greeks are but children. And again, so when we're talking about Adam and going forth from Adam, but when we're talking about the Table of Kings in the Sumerian time period, it's so hard for people to understand that in the Scripture, God made it clear He didn't originally create the world without uh, form and void, the Tohu and Bohu, but they became that way due to the catastrophic and cataclysmic judgment on the earth of the angelic civilization. If you go to Obadiah, and it's only one chapter, and it says, though you set your nest amongst the stars, yet will I bring thee down. There was a planet called Rahab, and I'm going to be talking about this. Well, when you start talking about orbital physics, Bode's Law, Roche's Limit, the bottom line is you, you, you've got to show it visually so people can not only grasp it, but then you understand why when you're looking at some of the most ancient Sumerian stelae, when you're looking at uh, the giants who are sitting on thrones and there's little people, they're not children standing uh, at their knees as these guys are seated and you see all sorts of star charts and even by the way all the cave paintings in uh, you know uh, Lascaux, uh, France and some of these newer places they're finding out they were uh, uh, monumental star charts and some of the star charts are so advanced that there's no way earth dwelling you know, quote, cave dwellers could have known that. So where did they get that information? Tom and I both categorically reject the fact that somehow a paramecium had a date with a E. coli bacteria, and somehow they made it and produced human beings. Okay? But that's about as ridiculous as it gets. Because as Carl Sagan used to say, billions and billions of years. No, it isn't billions and billions of years. It's basically the catastrophic judgment of God on a pre-angelic civilization that was on Earth. And so we're talking about the times that were, the golden era, the times that people, you know, that we get little glimpses of, but we don't have a total understanding. The Word of God is true. There's nothing that's hidden that won't be revealed. And when you understand the wars that have taken place in heaven, the hatred for those who hate Jesus Christ, the absolute uh, spiritual war that whether you want to be a participant in or not, you are in, the end times are unfolding before us, and, it, you know, again... Uh, uh, I just, I, I got to get over this, and I'm fixated right now on the mentality of Charisma Magazine, because Charisma comes from that word charismata, or, uh, you know, from which we get the word charismatic, and it means gifted. Well, it's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not I think, you think, we think, we know. By the way, I'm a, I'm a, a, a knight of the round table, a knight of Malta, a knight of this, a knight of that, and I want to say good night. You know, wake up, arise, for the light has come. You see, anything that's shrouded in secrecy and mystery is suspect, because they talk about ancient civilizations being, if you will, beneficiaries of the mystery religions. So as we're talking about all these events in Branson, I believe that there's going to come such a clarity and 
such an understanding, because it's only the Spirit of God that can give the Spirit of wisdom and, and give the Spirit of understanding, and obviously the, the people of God have lacked it. And for those who believe that this thing can be won in the natural with an argument, good luck. The the powers have darkness have of darkness have stolen the narrative. You're seeing it in the incessant attack on the present. I'm just getting emails from some guy that's basically he must have just stopped off on Earth from another planet, saying it's all you people who voted for Trump that are bringing this on. And of course, he's the defender of the faith. So get beyond that. Get beyond and see something. God uses the technology of the wicked to destroy the wicked. Do I believe that everything you see in Houston and on the uh, East Coast forming right now is man-made? Absolutely. Can God use it? Absolutely. Does God put it in their, their hearts, evil ones, to destroy themselves? Absolutely. So there is no conflict between the technology of those who seek to destroy mankind and, the, and God, who is above mankind, the creator of mankind, and rules over over all devil kind is in charge and he is using their technology to make war and so they, to make war on the saints and Tom quoted it see here's a deal Doug if I could I would ask and I'm serious Lord that heaven would literally pour a bucket of ice water over everyone's heads okay and literally wake them up from the slumber. When you read about the mind control, neural mapping, all the stuff that DARPA is doing, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency is doing to map the brain, to control the brain, to wipe away consciousness, to wipe away uh, any good feelings, you know, uh, to take away humanity. That's the bottom line in all of it. You know, and, and the killer bots and the robots and the insane argument uh, that even Elon Musk is making that, you know, AI is the end of us and, and well of course but then they're using it and integrating in everything they do and it's no loss is it that the majority of techno uh, files and the heads of some of the biggest companies in the world technology companies are at the burning man does anybody want to guess who the burning man is and it's not just going back to the druid worship of the wicker man it goes way beyond that because basically I'll, I'll make it easy for you out of the flames of hell the devil will come forth he will come forth in fury he will make war on the saints and they that know their god shall be strong and do victory so you know and so have victory so the point is uh and they that know their god should be strong and what does the script the rest of the scripture say tom and do exploits and do exploits what is an exploit thank you sir my mouth is going uh can't keep up with my brain the exploits are that which is accomplished through the power of the holy ghost beyond everything now look God gave good gifts to men. You can quote the Ephesians 6 chapter of We Wrestle Not Against Flesh and Blood. You can quote the spiritual warfare. You can say you understand this stuff, but the bottom line is, is if you don't uh, integrate it and overcome it, what good does it do? Go ahead, Tom. Amen. You're right. You're right. Go ahead, yeah. Go ahead Tom. Well, <laughs> that was a great... Um Steve, that's a great monologue. I mean, everything you've said is absolutely true. Um, we're, we're at a critical time in history, and people need to understand that it's no longer uh, a moment in which, you know, you just have the left and the right. Yeah, it's kind of like the Republicans and the Democrats, people on one side saying one thing, people on another side saying something else. Beneath the surface, 
of everything you see happening right now. Steve, you said you just got an email from a guy that's saying all you guys that voted for Donald Trump. Listen, I'm no blind Donald Trump supporter. Um, what what concerns me don't have really anything to do with Donald Trump. It has to do with why the deep state, why saboteurs, why a shadow government would move across uh, you know, one mile away from the White House in Washington, D.C., under the personage of Obama, and immediately employ their 250 OCA uh, uh, offices across the nation to literally uh, begin working for a soft coup, if you will, uh, the undermining of a duly elected president. I've, there's been lots of presidents. Obama was one of them that I did not like the fact that he was elected. But I still would have been resistant to the idea that the deep state would go out of its way to try to overthrow uh, the decisions of we the people. Well, so what people need to realize here in what they're seeing, and I don't want to get into politics and all that, what they need to realize is this isn't a rejection of a president. It's not just an effort to overturn the decisions of the election process of 2016. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a rejection of you. This is a rejection of your decision. Even if you were only a small majority of 51 or 52 or 53 percent of Americans that pull the voting lever in a particular way, the, the institution of government has says we reject your decision we no longer represent you as a representative of government and we're going to do everything we can to overturn this election well that's that's critical mass um, that's that that's the end of America as we have known it now take it to the completely next level there are deep-seated occultists in Washington DC that are committed to an agent scheme and you might as well call it for what it is. I mean, you can look at the great seal of the prophecy, uh, the, the prophecy on the great seal of the United States of America, the Novus Orbis which is taken from the Kume Sibyl, which is talking about the uh, end times in which Apollo is going to be uh, reincarnate as the king of planet Earth. That's on the great seal of the United States of America. But, of course, we know because of the New Testament, uh, uh, Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica, talking about the son of perdition, and the word perdition is the Greek word Apollo, Apollyon. The Antichrist is going to be the incarnation of this God that is predicted to come on the great seal of the United States. The whole layout of Washington, D.C., it's all based on this. But uh, uh, Joe, Doug, and Steve, one of the things that greatly concerns me even more is what we learned in the WikiLeaks scandal. We only basically barely touched on it in the last interview. In fact, I have a lot of questions in my mind, Doug, I'd like to ask you about Pizzagate and stuff like that. But the, but the point is, we learned in the WikiLeaks scandal that there are people who were all around Hillary, um, and these are people that are very much committed to Aliaster Crowley level uh, occultism. That you would have Tony Podesta emailing his brother John Podesta and saying, hey, uh, Marina Abramovac wants to know uh, if you're going to be in town on a certain day, can you come to the spirit cooking at her house? Folks, this is, this is high-level Liber Aliaster occultism, Aliaster Crowley occultism, in which they use disgusting body fluids combined with certain rituals, which 
some of that you can also see with her cutting her hands uh, online. There's pictures up, by the way, of Podesta with his fingers all scarred up from where he's been cut. Um, being invited to come to these rituals, the purpose of which is to put them in touch with the a spirit of Osiris, of Apollo, as he was known by the Greeks, to bring about the incarnation of this god. All We've done, I don't know how many shows, Steve, have we done where, where the whole program is based around talking about the layout of Washington, uh, D.C. Uh, 44 signers of the Declaration of Independence being devotees of Francis Bacon's New Atlantis when the gods are going to reunite with humanity. Talk about transhumanism, by the way. If you read the prophecy of the Kume Sibyl, she talks about this final empire as a moment when the gods will once again be commingled with man. Well, that's absolutely the the story of the Watchers that came down and commingled with humanity. And they, they wanted to build a city. Um, people should go to the uh, uh, Library of Congress. Read the article in the Library of Congress called The Most Approved Plan, in which George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, all these people, they got together, they advertised a contest on the layout of Washington, D.C., and they advertised to all these different engineers and said, whoever comes up with the best plan is going to win the contest, and we're going to design the capital city. So all these plans by engineers, famous people, by the way, designers across the U.S., come up with all these plans. But read the article on our own Library of Congress website where it says that Washington and Thomas Jefferson rejected all of the plans. Why? It says this on the website. It says because they wanted a city based on the old Roman pantheon and dedicated to all pagan gods. That's what the Library of Congress, U.S. Library of Congress website says. So that's what they wanted. That's what they built. That's why you have a dome facing an obelisk based on this ancient Egyptian uh, uh, ritualism that would bring about the, uh, r- the raising of Osiris from the underworld. And again, like I say, we've done whole shows on this. We've got whole books on this. I don't need to go back through all of that. But that's what they are looking for now. But what would people say? But by the way, I went to the House of the Temple. I had a congressman that put this together for me. I had a private meeting. Nita Horn went with me. My wife went with me so that I could verify this after the fact, and I'm glad I took her with me, although it scared the thunder out of her. Uh, we had a private meeting with two 33rd degree Freemasons at the House of the Temple, and I asked them a whole bunch of questions. They answered all my questions until I asked them this one question. Is it true? I've been told that at the inauguration of every American president, right here at the House of the Temple, just a little way, 16th Street, just a little ways from the White House, while they're over there and the president is standing in the ever-present belly, uh, uh, the ever-present uh, uh, pregnant belly of ISIS, the U.S. Capitol Dome, and if you look up, you see uh, Washington, the apotheosis of Washington, becoming a god, and all of the entities around him are non-Christian. They're all pagan and demonic. Uh, and then below that, a 70, 72 pentagrams for controlling the 72 cosmo craters that control the earth. The president stands below that while he's facing the obelisk across the Washington Mall. Um, while he's doing this ancient Egyptian position across town, you have the modern Egyptians 
uh, magicians that are standing inside the house of the temple, inside this holy room. I went into the holy room. I looked at the altar. I looked up above it at the, the magic 666 square that was used in antiquity for the raising of Apollo, or as the Greeks or as the Egyptians would have called him, Osiris. And I looked at the big throne of the Grand Poobah and where all the 33rd degree Freemasons sat. And I said, is it true that at the inauguration of every president, uh, that you conduct the raising of Osiris ceremony while he's standing over there like an ancient Egyptian pharaoh looking at the obelisk for the purpose of simulating what ultimately is going to happen, and that is a leader of the United States of America is going to become the fulfillment of this ancient pagan prophecy that Roosevelt and Henry Wallace wrote about in all their works and why they put the Great Seal in the United States and the Antichrist, as he is otherwise known in the Bible, um, is going to assume his rule over the United States of America. Do you actually do that? And these guys both got quiet. They wouldn't answer my question. One of the guys got up, walked out of the room. Nita looked at me and drew her fingers across her throat, right, like, shut up, boy, and don't say another word. And a few minutes later, one of the other guy came back, he wants to give me these two coins that have these very strange symbols on them. One of them almost looks a little bit like the Statue of Liberty. The other side has uh, uh, an uncapped pyramid, kind of like the uh, um, Great Seal of the United States. And I don't want to take them because I don't know what they are. And he keeps saying, yeah, you should take these, you should take these. So I took them with me and threw them into the dash of my car. They later burned up in my house when, uh, and you all know that story, the house 2011 burns down. And I called a friend of mine who was an ex-Freemason, and I said, what was that all about? And he said, oh, Tom, he said, that's old school, man. He said, that's like back in the day when they would say, you know, uh, do you have something for the, wid for the widow's son? Basically, they were giving you a pass. Otherwise, you could have been killed for uh, the questions that you were asking. You were getting too close to the bottom line. But now the Freemasons, they want to open up. They want to make this sexy. They want to make it appeal to today's modern generation. So they're letting some of their most highly uh, concealed secrets out. Well, that was then. Fast forward to today. And look at what highly placed Washington insiders were doing that were, that were revealed to us now in the WikiLeaks with the raising rituals and the spirit cooking between people that were all around uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, John Podesta, talking about contiguous aliens. There you go again, right, Steve? Contiguous aliens, aliens all around us. They were saying 2017 is going to be the year of official disclosure. Uh, elect Hillary, she's out there on late-night television saying, if you elect me, I'm going to make sure that we uncover this whole thing about uh, aliens. The bottom line is, everything you see there, I'll, I'll do this real quick because I know we'll run out of time, everything you see in those WikiLeaks, and I go into a lot of the history uh, in the upcoming book, Saboteurs, this all dates back to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory founder, Jack Parsons, the Scientology founder, L. Ron Hubbard, and their Babylon working. Now, what did they do? In the Babylon working, 1946, the Babylon working. They conduct a whole series of sex magic rituals based on Aliaster Crowley's uh, Tilima and his OTO, uh, their devotees of Aliaster Crowley. The whole purpose of this was to bring through uh, a dimensional vortex, a gate, in other words, like the Bible talks about, into our reality, the incarnation of the whore of Babylon, the archetype divine feminine. 
Now, if you read Jack Parsons' biography that he was working on before he blew himself up in a rocket experiment and died, in his biography, he makes a celebratory statement that in 1946 they were successful and that a female child was conceived in a woman somewhere in the United States. He doesn't say where, right? Now, if you follow the logic forward, nine months later, 1947, a female child should have been born. He says she will be um, a, uh, an internationally known feminist, but she will also take the helms of political power and be a global leader. The only woman born in 1947 that meets that criterion was Hillary Clinton. What I'm telling you is when you read the WikiLeaks, it is very, very obvious that these people around Hillary Clinton, John Podesta, Tony Podesta, all these other people, Marina Abramovic, they all believed that she is uh, the uh, incarnation of the Babylon working because she was born in the right year. But here's one more thing I want you guys to think about, and I bet you didn't know this. One year after Hillary Clinton was born, so now we're talking about 1948. Guess what happened? Jack Parsons, before he blows himself up, he writes a, a booklet, a small book, called The Book of the Antichrist. And guess what he said in this book? He said this: the child had been born. She's one years old now. And he said her spirit comes to him and tells him that she is going to help the Antichrist come to power. So she's not the Antichrist. But she's going to help the Antichrist come to power. But here's where it gets weird. She even told him her name. She told him, my name is Hilarion, which is the arcane Hillary. Now, I would like a mathematician somewhere to tell me, uh, uh, what other woman on earth named Hillary was born in 1947 that is a, an internationally known feminist that has the potential to become the leader of the most powerful nation on earth. And then it gets even weirder, because in 2020, at the next election, she'll be 72. And by the way, Donald Trump just proved that being 70 does not disqualify you from becoming the president of the United States of America. And every occultist everywhere knows the value of the number 72. It's the most powerful number in arcane occultism. So there are some very strange things going on. Now, I'm not saying that Hillary is the incarnation of the Babylon working, but I'm telling you that there is no doubt whatsoever that the people who were around her in the lead-up of the last election absolutely did believe that she was because they were practicing the same occultism of Aleister Crowley, Jack Parsons, and L. Ron Hubbard, and even talking about the same aliens that L. Ron Hubbard based his Church of Scientology on. So there, are, there is some very powerful people uh, in Washington, D.C. today, and we haven't even got into the whole thing about Pizzagate. Pizzagate, everybody thinks Pizzagate is over. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that we just brushed it aside. Everybody from, you know, uh, some of our friends who stepped aside because of pressure or the threat of a lawsuit or whatever, they let that go. But I think there was definitely something uh, that was there and that was operating uh, but anyway, so that's that's why uh, I'm, I'm I'm in October. I'm putting out this book, Saboteur: Shadow Government in Quest of the Final World Order. I'm going to give people a money back guarantee. I'm, in fact, we're going to sell it by the case 
because I can tell you, people are going to buy this by the case. They're going to give it to everybody they know. It's the most important thing I ever wrote. But I am going to put a warning that because there are things that I can't say on a family-friendly radio show like the Hegman. Uh, some of what was going on, some of what is going on, it is some nasty, terrible, scary, spooky crap. Uh, and uh, But I'm going to publish it. Amen to that. Yeah, you're right on the money. Uh, and, and Steve, uh, I mean, t- Tom is right on the money. The, the uh, Pizzagate, the WikiLeaks information as it relates to Pizzagate and the Parsons uh, uh, Babylon, not with a Y, but with an A, working project and the October 26, 1947 birthday, Hillary Clinton. Um, believe it or not, it's referenced within the subtext of the WikiLeaks um, it's just it, it, and you know what belief is the driver of action in many cases and it doesn't matter what we believe it, uh, I often say it matters what they believe and they believe it there it is uh, well yeah very, by very the way you saw the famous picture now of John Podesta standing there holding oh, yeah. up his two hands yeah. it was in one of the weekly files it's one of the yep. images that he emailed with the number 14 on his right hand and a fish on his left hand. And everybody was saying, what in the world does this mean? Well, anybody that knows the story of Osiris knows exactly what this means. I mean, Osiris chopped into 14 pieces. That's the number on his left hand. Uh, and the fish ate the 14th part, his male phallus, which is iconified in the, in the great um, uh, Washington Monument in Washington, D.C., but also in the, uh, uh, in the obelisk that stands in St. Peter's Square. This is all well known. It's not mysterious. It's not difficult to understand. This is necromantic uh, worship for the express purpose of bringing about the resurrection of the spirit of Osiris to fulfill the prophecy that is on the great seal of the United States, to bring about the incarnation of the Antichrist. Now, so what I think is this, by the way, I think that going into 2020, you might wind up with a male figure, who could be the president of the United States of America, who has as his VP, Hillary. And if that happens, let me tell you, that is going to be a scary, spooky, weird kind of fulfillment of what we see in the WikiLeaks revelation. Hey, uh, Doug, I want to deal with something, too. When Tom is talking about number 72, and I'm not going into this very far just because, you know, I don't want, you know, people going here, and I'll just give you the long and short of it. The number 72, there are 72 ionospheric heaters, like harp, okay, around the world. There are 72 demon gates, which are called the Goetic gates, G-O-E-T-I-C gates. And so what you've got is you've got the number 72, which is mystical, and you've also got the issue now that that is becoming, does it not seem strange to people that sex was the uh, thing that uh, draw, uh, what's the word, that uh, drew the angels out of heaven as they looked on earth women. Jude talks about the angels not keeping their first estate. Those original angels that did that, that descended on Mount Hermon, they basically injected or introduced their, their, if you will, fallen nature now, and they were able to take on the form of uh, men and the size accordingly to produce the giants, the mighty men of old. But now you go forward and you go to the Vatican and you go to all the nonsense 
about the aliens. If you if you studied the UFOs for years, and I've done it, Tom's done it, abductions, you you always end up back at the same thing in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter six, or you end up in the book of Jude. And here is the issue that I want to clear up for everybody: if you don't think that the law of first mention, meaning the first time it appears in the Old Testament, is relevant, then you might as well basically, seriously, go become uh, something other than a Christian, because the Bible teaches specifically that Jesus said that that, that basically he, did, he came to destroy the works of the evil one, and, and Jesus warned us about be not deceived. The deception is so great. So now we've got the whole alien phenomenon, and you know, whether you believe in the black-eyed children or all the offspring or anything, the point is you've got this, this in your face, if you will, perverted sexuality, and you've got it with the you know, fallen angels, you've got it with their giant offspring, you've got it with the, uh, if you will, the embodiment through genetic engineering, the reconstitution of these things. And by the way, I was told by somebody, he said, you know, not only do these guys have appetite for human flesh, the giants that have come out of stasis, but they also have the appetite for the same thing that drew them to the earth. And I'll just leave it at that, women. So, you know, the idea is simply this. You have, in ritual magic, you have to have sex. You have to have that creative reproduction or excuse me, reproductive, procreative uh, element involved in it. Because what they're saying every time they do that is is that they're going to reintroduce all of their fallen offspring, because the, the fallen angels beg God not to kill their children, and that's where the word bastards come from. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go here with this statement. I do not believe that most of the people that we see in the Congress and Senate are still human beings in the classic sense of the word. I believe that they have given themselves over to a Luciferic initiation, and that is the only way to explain the Republican Democrats intentionally destroying this country to bring about the Great One. Even Mitch McConnell was on record saying he had a spiritual experience. No one was even astute enough to say, yeah, but what's the source of your experience? You see, so this is why modern Christendom will accept everything except the truth, they will persecute the truth, and the modern Christendom who are reprobate will demand the state that they go and take us out. And Tom, my formula now is playing out, and I didn't originate this. I, India, Victor, November, Delta, identify, vilify, nullify, destroy. And so you're seeing this in every single aspect of the outreach. Why is it that all of the, if you will, the uh, uh, different demonic manifestations on earth now are being seen, being recorded, being videotaped, being iPhoneated, not hyphenated, iPhoneated. And the thing that's Im- impossible for most people to get through the, their mind is, well, they're playing, fiddling. It's not, well, fiddling while Rome burns. It's fiddling while Lucifer ascends. It's fiddling while basically the whole realm of creation will soon be on earth battling in the quintessential battle 
battle of the ages. And so, you know, when people are sending me emails, oh, Brother Quayle, aren't you so happy that the ashes of the red heifer have been found? I say, absolutely not. Do you know who comes into that temple? The Antichrist. That's what fulfills biblical prophecy. And so, the, you know, the bottom line is Jesus said, I came, you received me not, but another will come claiming to be me, he, be me, Jesus speaking, and him you will receive. So I got to tell you something, Tom. I see this thing absolutely escalating be, uh, beyond anything now that we even, even uh, have to reference it by. That's why I believe men's hearts will fail them, because they will lose a context for their understanding if they shun what you and I and Derek and, and L.A. and Dr. Michael, you know, are trying to teach us, you know. And, and, and again, that they have been. These guys have been raised up and given Dr. Michael Lake. Uh, and so we're at this point now where it's critical. And I believe that Branson, let me just say one more thing about Branson. Branson is a time sensitive conference unlike any other because I do not believe that so much, uh, if you will, uh, research and so much uh, of uh, the, if you will, all of the ends coming together uh, from uh, various areas of the world, it's, it, was, it didn't happen 10 years ago, it didn't happen 20 years ago. It happened in the last couple years, and that's because God is going to present a cohesive picture of history, and whether people accept it or reject it, that's their, uh, that's their responsibility before God. But our responsibility before God is to pass on to those who have willing hearts, open ears, and, and, and eyes to see. And, and that's what we're doing this for. So, ladies and gentlemen, again, there's only 330, I think, uh, spots available for live streaming, and the DVDs will be available as quickly as we can literally get the masters off. And the, since this thing's over on Sunday, that means they go out on Monday, and we're going to try and get them in your hands within uh, no later than two weeks. So, you know, I'm excited, Tom. Obviously, uh, our our oh, what do you call it? Roundtable will be probably one of the most in you know interesting roundtables. Derek will be mediating that and. Uh, he knows how to ask the right questions, and I think that people ought to really get it together because, as you say, in, in the occultists in Washington, D.C. are conducting rituals to literally open the gates, and Native Americans are saying, we got it done already, boys. But they, yeah, they know what happens when the gates open. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's right, and that's what we found. I still remember when we're standing in Mesa Verde, and we went everywhere with, and these, and people need to know this because we'll have to talk about all this at the uh, conference, given the fact we're going to run out of time here in a minute. Um, but the people that we met with in the Four Corners area, these were not Johnny Come Lately's. Through our uh, mutual friend Michael Herring, who was many, many years a, a museum curator for the American Indians, a senior lecturer at the Smithsonian Institute. Uh, and we still may have an opportunity to interview some of the people at the Smithsonian on what you know we have called in our book um, the uh, unearthing the lost world of the cloud eaters, the great Smithsonian cover-up, why the bones were acclimated, and we're not even going to have time tonight to get into the fact that why would they collect all these bones? Well, the superficial answer, of course, the Powell doctrine is that anything that would fly in the face of Darwinian evolution that we were all were an amoeba that crawled up out of a swamp and became, you know, something, and finally we stood up like that little, uh, whatever that little green 
lizard thing is that sells insurance. We finally stood up you know, and became that, uh, and uh, eventually a monkey and a whatever. Anything that flies in the face of Darwinian evolution had to be shut down according to the Powell Doctrine. Well, of course, giants. And we didn't... Uh, I'm going to show, by the way, some of the uh, Smithsonian's own records. I've got records and New York Times 1980s and, uh, and yeah, eight, I'm, excuse me, 1800 and 1900 uh, records from the Smithsonian showing where they recovered the bones of giants that were 11, 12 feet tall and even higher. And these are in their executive reports. Well, that's bigger than what most people believe Goliath in the New Testament was, which many people put at 9 feet, others put at 18. But the whole point is, what were they doing spiriting away? And and, uh, uh, and Bind Deloria, who is an academic and an attorney in the, uh, uh, among the Native Americans, said that there's a Indiana Jones-like building where they're hiding these bones. Well, why are they doing that? Well, the answer is only partly that it was because it flies in the face of Darwinian evolution. The other answer is what we learned from the senior leaders from among the Zuni and Hopi tribes which was, this was unprecedented, because the Hopi don't sit down with anybody, and yet we got the leaders of their tribes. We got people that were uh, the representatives to the U.S. government for tribal affairs. I mean, we got top-level people that are part of the uh, Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters book and also your documentary film that sat down privately, secretly with me, you, and both of our teams for a week uh, at late last year, we learned from them there's another reason why they collected all their bones, and it is occultism, that those bones, according to them, have a kind of magical, metaphysical property to them that has to do with the Raphaim uh, of the Old Testament scripture that talks about those bones, those dead giants squirming beneath the surface of the earth, and Isaiah praying that God would not allow those giants to rise from the dead. Um, that they have a rejuvenating kind of mystical property. Timothy Alberino, and you ran into that when you were in Peru, that the children go out and they lay on the top of these giant grave sites. Why? Because they acclimate the energies of these gods. So there is a great deal of mysticism around this, but it does also seem to be supported by Scripture. And we're going to get into all of that, uh, what we learned, uh, and probably some of these deeper secrets, uh, Doug, I'm really um, sorry that we ran out of time tonight because I definitely wanted to ask you about Pizzagate. Why? Because as we're talking about occultists, the number 72, and Derek Gilbert wrote a whole book, uh, uh, the, um, the, uh, the Great Inception, which goes into this whole thing about 72. Why did Jesus send out 72 disciples? Because Jesus came to fulfill what the Hebrews of his time expected in the Messiah to overturn the curse that the Watchers had brought upon the earth. So very fascinating stuff. We're going to be getting into all of that uh, at this conference, and it's actually going to revolutionize people's understanding of the gospel. So they need to get the uh, live streaming or to get the uh, DVDs after the fact, since evidently the whole thing is sold out. If people go to skywatchtvstore.com tonight, they order either the book by itself, Unearthing the Lost World of the Cloud Eaters, or the combination deal that has uh, Steve's new Gen 6 documentary film and the book. There's a whole ton of stuff over there they're already giving away free, but if you type in the 
uh, promo code Hagman on checkout. We're also going to give you uh, Chris Putnam's DVD on his last DVD, his last thing he made before he died, the Vatican Extraterrestrial uh, Connection, as well as the book that so much of our research is actually based on, right? The Ancient Book of Enoch. But in this case, it's the collector's hardback uh, deluxe version of that book. It's only available from us, and we're going to give it to you for nothing uh, if you if you take advantage of that tonight. But, hey, the next program we do, I really do, I, I, and Doug, I want to ask you some questions, because when you're talking about Crowley occultism, as you know, Aliaster Crowley said, when you're doing this magic and you're bringing up these supernaturalism from this other dimension, nothing is more important than the blood of the innocent. The blood of the pedophilic victim. And that's That's where these other parts of what was going on in the revelations and in these WikiLeaks, where it ties to Pizzagate, you got people like Hastert who went to prison, the the judge that sentenced him to prison, he's already out, but the judge that sentenced him to prison called him uh, uh, a predator. Um, these, well, okay, we're out of time, but yeah, there's a, but, there's another whole story there that we got to deal with someday. I, I, I'll just say this cryptically, uh, Tom. I have a feeling that uh, I will be able to give you this information sooner rather than later, and I'm going to leave it at that. Very cryptic, but nonetheless, it does tie in uh, the Great Inception with the WikiLeaks um, emails and ones that have been totally ignored that uh, are not from WikiLeaks but from another um, email release. And I'm just going to leave it at that, but I have a feeling we'll, we'll do this sooner rather than later, Tom. We need to. So, there you go. And, hey, Doug, one yes, thing sir. I would like to say for those who are going to be attending the conference or those who will be live streaming or those who will be getting the DVDs, I would strongly encourage you to go, you know, uh, on my website, stevequail.com, and get the True Legends package. And True Legends package, the whole started, the, the name of the True Legends series started because of the book on True Legends. Because in the first couple chapters, I lay out the reason for the cover-up. I lay out the fact that the specific presidents of the United States believed in what we're talking about. And the thing is, is that if they read the book, we got a special on the book and on the, uh, you know, three DVDs together. I think it's 79 bucks. But the, here's the point. If they don't have that or if they've already gotten the book, they can go on Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O, and download any place in the world for those who are listening. Download the Holocaust of Giants or the Unholy Sea. And when you understand what we mean by Unholy Sea, the Holy Sea is called the Pope, the Unholy Sea, which is, by the way, moving at breakneck speed to prove that he is a false prophet, in my opinion. Uh, to Catholics, he's known as the anti-Pope. And technology of the fallen was number one. So all of these pieces are coming together. And the greatest puzzles of all time have been sealed up until the time of the end. And here's what I'm excited about. Doug, you know, Joe and Tom, this is part of the unsealing that Daniel was told to seal up. 
because I can speak from personal experience when God shows you the history of the world in a, in a future sense, and then he takes it from you and says, I'm only going to release you to know what's going on right before it comes to pass. I can literally identify with that. That's what happened to me when I was in the presence of Jesus, face to face. People fight me on that and say, oh, you're making it up. And I fight me on that and go, God, why am I so not doing the miracles of the living God? And why are my friends dying when you said, we'll do greater things than these? And, you know, I have issues with that. And somebody once said, uh, you know, uh, we explain the scripture, and it's real simple. With much, with much knowledge comes much sorrow. But I'd add to that, not adding to the word of God, but I would add to the concept by making a statement and ridicule. And again, even Sir Isaac Newton, who David Flynn probably had the greatest understanding of Sidonia, the secret chronicle of Mars, I'm going to be dealing at Branson with what I call the Marzetta Stone. And because we have a brother in South Africa, God bless you, Sean, that basically, uh, you know, did some incredible work on the Martian Morse code, tying it in with the geoglyphs at Tiwanaku that David Flynn proposed was a language. We got some mind-breaking stuff, and I promise you this, that, you know, once it comes out, then Tom will have, you know, I hope he doesn't have 140,000 Tom, 140, Tom Horn wannabes, but if people understood how much we get ripped off and get a million views and that there are pirates out there doing their best, whether with government help intervention or just trolls trolls on steroids, the thing is is that they do everything they can to try and keep us from being able to do what we do. And by the grace of God, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to say this one more time. If you were, I want you to think about this. Everybody's listening to my voice. If Doug Hayman was off the show tomorrow, what would you miss? Would you have a void in your life? Would you basically feel like you're starved? He just dropped a big hint on you. If the truth is what sets men free, then can you not spare a few bucks to help him? I'm not talking about people that have no money to give. But, Doug, you and I and Tom, we both know some very well-heeled people. And it's time for those of you who can do it to step up to the pump and underwrite the people that are willing to put their lives on the line. And, and all you're worried about is return on investment. Let me tell you this. My prayer is that your cryptocurrencies don't turn into kleptocurrencies, as in kleptomaniacs. So there's another quailism for everybody. And Tom, thank you for coming on tonight. I'm excited to be with you at Branson. I'm excited to be with everybody. And we're going to have, a, I would say this, one of the most unusual, and I would say uniquely visited by the presence of God. And that's not a bragging statement. That is a, a statement made on Revelation. Amen. We are out of time, gentlemen. Thank you, Tom Horn. Thank you, Steve Quayle. And thank you, everyone who has uh, stepped up and uh, and really allowed us to continue another month, another couple of months. God bless all of you. And, and, and Steve, thank you. Thank you so much, my brother. I'll be talking with you uh, probably tomorrow. And Mr. Horn, I'll, I'll be speaking with you very soon. All right. Good night, guys. All right. Good night. Good night, all. That'll do it for us tonight. God bless. Till tomorrow.